Alrighty, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Baby Backs Panther Podcast. I'm Mike McDermott, and I write about the backs farm system on Inside the Diamondbacks, and I'm joined today by AZ Snake Pits Wes Bear Buyer. Here we go. Thanks, Michael. Sorry about that. I <laughs> guess it took a second to figure that out. Sorry. Um, opening day is tomorrow. I'm really excited. How about you, Michael? Opening day is, yep. It's going to be a very interesting season. I think I'll be looking forward to this opening day more than past years, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, there's so many changes. That's why that's like really, that's why I'm excited to see how this plays out because it's going to be, Really, uh, it's going to be an interesting season, I think, probably uh, more so than, I mean, well, 2020 obviously was an interesting season too, but this is like, uh, I mean, I should be going back to a better form of baseball tomorrow. And I I really, like, I'm curious to see if it, uh, how it plays out on like the national level, what people think of it. Yeah, I figured the new rules are almost catered to this team because it, That'll encourage them to steal more, and Dimebacks certainly have that possibility. We could see quite a few 30 stolen base guys on this roster as well, as a lot of left-handed hitters are going to get some help with less infield shifting. Like I said, the data shows that left-handed batters are benefiting from less shifts, although not as much of an impact for right-handed hitters, so Christian Walker's ground ball balls and play average won't be affected positively as much. Yeah, the 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 band of shift though is really like there's little fine details that we're like we're seeing some teams kind of take advantage of like you can still shift your outfielders like it's not against the rules so we're going to see you know shifts but not as dramatic of shifts where you have like one guy uh one infielder one outfielder on you know one side of the field and everyone else on the other we're not going to see that anymore but we will see you know uh interesting configurations of outfielders um you know, and and the yeah, it actually does feel like the the Diamondbacks, uh, at least as far as base running, that the, the enlargement of the base should really benefit a lot of the players on the team. We have a really young, fast team that's like can steal bases. So um, it'll be interesting to see like how all things. I'm concerned about the pitch clock and how that'll affect pitching and the hitting. I mean, it's really, uh, it's gonna. I think there'll still be issues for the first month. It took about two months in the minor leagues for it to get to normal, but I think by by the all-star break, we should, you know, it, I think all the teams will have all the, like, you know, they'll be able to work within the rules now and take advantage of them and not have it be a disadvantage. Yeah, the young players, the uh, prospects, the minor league guys just coming up are kind of already used to these new rules. So, for example, McCarthy and Corbin Carroll played with the larger bases in the pitch clock in Reno last season. Yeah, yeah. even Alex pitch- Alec Thomas spent some time in that, you know, after he was demoted towards the end of the year and he... He seemed fine, and actually, in the uh, the playoffs, uh, the Triple A playoffs last season. So, like, I mean, he's already knows how to deal with the pitch clock. They they're used to it. It's the older guys who might have trouble. Although there's always like the Zach Grankies who are going to find the most interesting loopholes to take advantage Zach of. Zach Granke just calls his own game. That's how he does it. Oh, I love it. I mean, there, I think that there's going to be like a lot of pitchers who have fun with the, the you know the pitch clock, and uh, like Nestor Cortez. If you you see what he's been doing in New York, yeah, that's really or Florida rather. Um, he's having fun with it and he's having fun with the umpires like playing, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting, but I think, yeah, the catcher, like the, 
there's going to be some pitchers who are going to be negatively affected by it, and there are going to be some hitters who are negatively affected by it. Uh, I don't really think that it's going to be like career ending for any of them, though. I was going to say, also, pitchers can use Pitchcom to call games. Madison Bumgarner, a big fan of that, obviously. He was the most excited when he was talking about how he pitched on Monday night. He was excited at the idea of using Pitchcom. He'd use it for all three of his spring starts. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised, honestly, that this is, like, the first time that, like, this, like 2023. It took until 2023 to, like implement technology that we could have put out in like you know at least the early 2000s if not much sooner like 1980s i mean if you want like at least a small unit that's like you know that's not like obtrusive like it like there's a very small piece of equipment if you actually look at pitchcom they are uh like really neat little bit you know bit of technology and um but they could they could have done something like that in like the early 2000s i don't know why it took this long because it's yeah, Houston. Thank you. Last time anyone said that. Well, other, other than astronauts in space for NASA. Well, as we all hear, it wasn't that Houston wasn't great because of trash cans, as we learned last yeah. year. Yeah. Well, it's it's overplayed to say that just Houston was doing that. So, um, like I, the trash can thing, that's absolutely all on 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 Houston. Yeah, that's, that's, the only thing unique. That, that's the only thing that's unique to them was the trash can thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, there have been a lot of rumors about, um, sign stealing electronic equipment, like basically similar to Pitchcom or like a buzzer system to tell you what's They've been trying to steal yeah. signs since the beginning of the yeah. game. I think there was, there's stories of guy, like literally one of the owners, I forget who bought like the, uh, uh, was it like the the building like facing from center field and they were like you know radioing in like you know signs and like there's like whole, all kinds of crazy stories like that or like just if there's a way to steal signs like I, I think the most famous one like they had like literally were shocking each other uh to relay signs i think it was like in the 70s and like bad enough that they left a burn so that's how badly people want to cheat cheat in baseball it's like enough to injure yourself it's just Houston got caught because they were too obvious about it. Yeah, banging on a trash can. That's like a meme from Doug. The the 90s Nickelodeon cartoon for people who are too young to remember Doug. Or or Disney, I guess. So yeah, as we look to opening day, we're also going to talk about what happened Monday night. It was a little bit of a glimpse into the future of the team. D-backs down seven and six nothing after the seventh inning stretch ended up pulling scoring seven runs in their final two at bats, mostly fueled by their farm system and their young core players. Ron, it was a fun moment after the game. Tori Lovello said, "Imagine Jordan Lawler running the bases in a big league uniform when he hit that home run." And then he kind of was cheeky about it and said, "I'm sure he wasn't the only one imagining it." Yeah, I, I uh, unfortunately I didn't get a chance to watch the game. The game wasn't on the air. You were you watched it, Michael? So you should probably uh, sum up this one. So yeah, basically to sum it up, first run came from the team's top three veterans. Rojas single through the right side, kind of broke the. Th- Actually, no, Rojas single up the middle to kind of break that shift. D backs had not gotten a base runner until the bottom of the seventh. 
And then Kittel Marte shot a ball for the right side, which probably would have been an out last year. But because of the man on Schist, that got through easily. And then Walker singled through the left side to score a run. Also, maybe a, perhaps a benefit of the lack of shifting. So the new rules contributed to a one run right there. Then uh, after a couple more outs, Corbin Carroll came out full count with runners at first and second. Hit a ball that rolled all the way to the warning track before it was cut off since Walker had his head start on the pitch. He ended up scoring from first for a two-run double. Then after another walk, McCarthy ended up singling for the right side to make it 6-4, and that's how it went for the seventh inning. And then the eighth inning, Cleveland sent out their closer, Emmanuel Classe, against uh, the Dimeback substitute players, although I don't know if you would call them substitute. These are guys that are probably going to be on the roster at some point this year. So Perdomo drew a walk, close pitch on 3-2, got on base. And then De Los Santos fell behind 1-2, fouled off a couple pitches, smoked the ball into the left center field gap. 106 off the bat, absolute frozen rope there. And then Thomas came up, rolled over. It was a hard-hit ground ball to the right side, so it's the case if you make an out, it was a useful out. Put them in a good situation. Forced Cleveland's infield to draw in. Phillip Evans came up, smoked a ground ball, unfortunately right at the shortstop. So that was a little bit of bad luck on a good at bat. And then after that, Evans at bat. Cleveland actually changed pitchers, so Classe was out after that point. They brought in some double-A arm to face Jordan Lawler. And then Lawler ended up smoking a ball over the left center field fence for a two-run home run. That's pretty much all the scoring in that point. So it was pretty interesting. When I watched the Lawler at bat, um, Lawler at bat when he connected on that ball, I was like, yep, that's gone. And I was just completely astonished. And I actually turned around to Hockey Jack. It's like, when's the next time we're going to see this this year? That was a, that was a little bit of a fun moment. Kind of sucks that nobody was able to watch it. it. Was it was really it was pretty cool to see. All that unfold. Um. Yeah. Consider, considering that you may have seen, like, uh, I, I personally think that out of like the whole roster, Cor- uh, Corbin Carroll and Jordan Lawler have a good chance to end up being future Hall of Famers. Like, uh, there's no, like, if they they're career is like nine you know if they hit their with the drive that both of those players have their love of baseball their talent i really i mean i know it's a pretty bold uh like it's a it's pretty bold to say that you would just watch two future hall of famers before they've uh really uh had a chance to show michael but like they they certainly have all the, the whole roster both of them have a very good chance of uh being there and i think uh de los santos has a chance of being the the, the hall of very good so I would say that's probably premature for all this stuff, but it's kind of like the moment where D-backs fans got their first taste of Ball Goldschmidt in spring 20, training 2011. Yeah. First game played at Salt River Fields in a game-tying homer in the ninth I, inning. Two outs in the ninth inning. Yeah, I know it's a spring training game. I know it's it. that's a little – that's a very – but if you look at the national press, because that's what I was doing uh, to get my mind off of things over the weekend – and uh, you really, there's a lot of uh, press for Corbin Carroll there, like love of him. There's uh, Jordan Lawler is not getting quite the attention. I think it's just he hasn't really have shown the chance to, uh, you know. He came back like you know when did he come? When did he when did he come back off of the uh, the DL last season, Michael? I think he only missed three months in June or something like that. Yeah, I think it was it like, wasn't June, like a long term injury. Just like some weird growth on his rib, and it turned out to be benign, so they just didn't. Yeah, it like so a, it was more like a rest. So this season, I think like he um, uh, Lawler has uh, really 
just has the like i mean like the makeup there's some things with with baseball players when you tell like they like their personality doesn't necessarily lend to like like long term being in the game um there's prospects that just don't have like the family support or they, they don't have the the personality to stick with it and like you know trust themselves and all like the things that like guarantee you success as a prospect some players don't have it paul goldschmidt you could tell from his stats that he had the talent and you could tell by his personality that he yeah he this guy was going to figure it out like he he knew that his defense needed to work on it and so he worked on it and like you know he's pretty much uh throughout his career fixed all the flaws in his in his game where that's where he's uh borderline i guess at this point hall of famer yeah, um, actually, not quite not quite there yet i was talking about with uh another um, fan nation writer jack vita who covers who covers the the fan nation website fastball we were talking about uh jose ramirez paul goldschmidt and other potential hall of famers i think arenado came up at that point too but yeah i think we we're talking about when you're we all agreed that goldschmidt's a slam dunk hall of famer maybe not first ballot but yeah no he's i yeah he pretty I much is the first ballot point. guy I don't. I think he probably, if he can stick around with more productive seasons, he might end up being one. I don't think he is either right now. Um, probably going to need at least one more season like last year to be a first ballot. Yeah, player, in my opinion. He, I I think, yeah, maybe one more season. If we're not including this season, I'd say I think two two more at least like league average you know seasons would be, uh, like just to pad his career because really we've seen his like his longevity and. Um, as long as he doesn't fall off a cliff, like I think he's pretty much. Yeah, he's not the type of guy that'll fall off dunk. a cliff. No, he. I think he knows when he'll step away. Like when he steps away. Um, yeah, he'll step. It, it'll he'll be step when he knows he can't play anymore. Like I think he'll step away. He'll he'll step away gracefully before he before Rainers. he sucks. Yeah. So, um, what was the point? So with like lot, like we understand with prospects when we're talking about like oh I you know like there's a chance okay we're like this is like. You know, someone uh, achieving their 90th percentile projections, um, like, yeah, More there's a likely. chance of that. It's, yeah, it's you have to look at the likelihood of, you know, like, uh, like how likely it is, what they're going to, you know, it's not. And we and we always forget that these are people, that they have an influence on their own destiny. Like, they can work harder, they can become better, and sometimes guys just figure it out. Or sometimes a guy gets a yip. Like, who who thought Rick and Keel, who actually was, like, a top-ranked pitching prospect, would end up, you know, just getting the himself yes. as an outfielder. Yeah, he'd end up being an outfielder. Like that's really, you know, that's not even just, just like an outfielder, a good one. Yeah, he was he was impressive. He had an impressive amount of power. I actually was thinking about this last night. Freak athlete. Um, if Zach Ranky could have been like had the same opportunity to hit every, like basically every day as a DH, uh, like Otani did, would he have been a league average hitter? No, like a league average DH. No, no, I don't think. We're, yeah, we're I was, I, I was like, Otani is literally the most talented baseball player we've ever seen. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying like he's going to be hit as good as Otani. I was saying like if he could hit like enough to judge, he had a surprising amount of power. Like you know, I think one of the things where he actually has yeah, remember, to be a position player, but Granky would either yeah, be a position player or a pitcher, not both. Yeah, he's. Yeah, I don't see. Yeah, he never. I mean, if he got the opportunity, I think to hit every day. He he could have been a, a two way player. I think he has the, the hitting skill. He's certainly better than most. 
I just watched Granky highlights. It cheered me up, like what you know, last night and made me feel better. And I was thinking about this. And yeah, he had career OPS plus a sixty. Yeah, but you think about like the only seasons that he was uh, able to hit even semi regularly were with Milwaukee, L.A., and. Arizona, and he was in the American League through like most of his. All right, let me look up his NL numbers then. So in the NL, yeah, he has an OPS plus of sixty-one. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's actually pretty good for a pitcher. You know, I think he, I think he could have pulled it up more if he was given a chance to hit every day. That's the one thing. Like this hypothetical. I think yeah, it's one thing better. that Otani, Otani benefits from being able to to hit as a DH. If you can only hit when he pitch, which is impossible now, um, like. It, it, he wouldn't be as good a hitter. Like I think that's really the thing with uh, two-way players. I think I was, look, I was like looking through comparables, and it they're never given. No one's ever given the opportunity. There's been Nobody. plenty of two-way. There's been pl- there's been plenty of two-way players in college. That's about yeah. it. At least in the states. And you know, if you look at there was a few Negro leaguers who were two-way players. So like I didn't. There's a few like Bullet. Bullet. I think it was his name Bullet Allen or something like that. Um. He he apparently threw over a hundred and like you know smacked bombs like Atani and like what if that guy was given an opportunity in you know nineteen forty five like would we be would Atani be that like I mean I, I still think he's generational talent regardless but um, would we have seen more two players certainly and uh, that's one of the things that's game changing about him is he's so that's like not normal. You know, 61, a 61 OP. He's not just a hitter, like a decent league average hitter. He's a plus hitter. I can, and he uh, throws over 100. And if he, he also is a very, he's also got freakishly fast speed, although he's not an elite runner. Yeah. Raw he's, speed, but he's faster than you think. Like he's a, he's, people forget that Otani is literally probably the most athletic pitcher to grace the game. Yeah, he's a, he's uh yeah, the athleticism of Otani, like he's a big guy and he moves very quick and he has like a very good sense of like uh ten pounds. He's just like two ten. I don't buy it. He's I would say he's two twenty five at least. I would be surprised if I weigh more than Otani and I'm like at like two thirty right now. So like if I'm six set like that's my always my favorite reference, I'm like six six, two thirty. So he probably like he's he's all muscles, so he's going to be my weight, maybe an inch shorter. So he, I, he's, I guarantee he's like probably two thirty, two forty. Like I don't, right I, yeah, I don't buy that. Going, we'll just say he's close to the greatest. Well, you may be talking about putting him in the discussion for greatest baseball player of all time when his career is over. Oh yeah, that's that's as long as he like. I think he's a future Hall of Famer, regardless, just because of the impact he's had on the game. Like he's gonna end up in the Hall of Fame eventually, no matter where his career goes. From if he like something terrible happens, he never plays another game. You know, freak accident where a, a, a seagull attacks his ankle, and he you know he can say, never pitches again. Um, he has to qualify first, though. Yeah, he. I mean, once he is ten seasons. Okay. Well, I mean, I think they're like. So he has to uh, yeah, twenty-seven. I once I he, really once he's eligible, he's in. Kind of thing. That's what I think. We've only seen uh, two yeah. seasons of that type of impact that he can provide. Won an MVP and finished second. Yeah, that's that's pretty much. He, I think he wants to win a Cy Young. Is one of his personal goals. 
Yeah. Like I've heard that come up. So he's very ambitious. Like that kind of like to have that kind of he's we're not gonna see so a lot of guys like him. Be. Yeah. I mean it's it's whole I th- do you think he's gonna be on the Angels uh after the All Star break? They're eh, if they're in the wild card race, sure. Yeah, I mean that's not gonna be that's not that hard in the NL West, but uh, there's some well constructed pretty tough division. Depending uh, on how healthy the Rangers are this season. Yeah, and they have a lot of fra- they have a lot of fragile players. I don't I usually write off Texas, so uh, hopefully they they surprise me. But like the ALS has not you know, it's not competitive top defending to bottom. Defending world champions as you you have the defending world champions in that division. Seattle's good. The yeah, Angels, if they can stay healthy, I think they're gonna surprise some people. They finally have a good complimentary cast. I, I they have a better roster this year, certainly. Like I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if they're competitive. I mean, they're the two best players in the game, and they seem to have actually found some some useful role players. And if Arenado's uh, healthy, uh, that I mean, he he, uh, he oh, no, not Arenado. Who's the, who did they sign for? Rendon. For, Rendon. Yeah, Rendon. that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think Rendon's healthy. Um, then they'll they'll be they'll be yeah, like in, they'll be competitive. Just like it's the question is always do they have any any pitching and other than Atani? So let me take a look real quick. I, I haven't looked. I the projections I saw were like they they looked pretty mediocre. I think their pit their starting pitching I think is much better this year. Yeah, I mean, like most national beat writers are saying, like okay, like like Samborski is saying that it's you know they stand a chance. Uh, Zips is fairly well, they optimistic. Up Tyler Anderson. Yeah, they've got some. They picked up some good pieces recently. I think so. Detmers is going to get. Be- I think Detmers is going to be better. Oh yeah, Reed Detmers. Yeah, he uh, he definitely is like a pitcher that is not terrible on the Angels. That's not Atani. Yeah, and Sandoval's assault. I think Sandoval is underrated. Patrick yeah, Sandoval. I mean. I- Obviously, you've seen he's a guy that gets a lot of strikeouts, but when he misses in the zone, he gets hit pretty hard. Yeah, um, they 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 could be. They I really I think that they can be uh, competitive. I don't know if they will. If they have any injuries, then they're 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 done. Otani won't be it. Like I mean, like, and that's basically. But if yeah, if they're competitive, they won't. They'll hold on to them. There's you're dumb if you don't. You know, like I I mean. I think they will make a serious effort to re-sign him too. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, like Moreno would be very dumb not to attempt, <laughs> not to at least attempt to re-sign the greatest player since Babe Ruth. Like, yeah, Jeff, that's not hyperbole at all. It's hard to compare the two, obviously, because I don't think yeah, in like Babe Ruth would have been given the chance to be a two-way guy either. Yeah, no, he wouldn't at all. He wouldn't. He would never been given the chance that he had. Um, it he was stuck, unusual. Stuck his bat somewhere. It was still like two way players were starting to become very unusual by the time that uh, Ruth came up, and then with the, they, he was more a pitcher than a hitter. And it's only like the fact that he was given the chance as a two way player to hit, and you know, of course, they didn't have a DH back then. So, uh, but if you look at how head and shoulders he was as a hitter and a pitcher, and like if you look at his numbers, he was actually a pretty good pitcher. Doesn't, I mean, doesn't yes, he have the MLB record for OPS plus. Uh, yeah, as a pitcher, yeah, he does. <laughs> no, I mean just period. Isn't it's like and, close. Uh, no, wait, no, maybe not anymore because Josh Gibson was at, 
Barry Bonds and Josh Gibson. I was just going to say, yeah, uh, Josh Gibson. Uh, if you, they've yeah they've made uh, the Negro Leagues uh, a, a major league. That's why I don't care why they don't put the MVP as a major league too, because it's basically right. a similar situation of a segregated uh, baseball league that like is a legitimate major league. They do have minor leagues. I wouldn't make those like uh, a major league, but I certainly would make MVP up like I think Babe Ruth two hundred six uh, from the nineties on. Uh, Josh Gibson's is not on this list of OPS leaders. Check. So yeah, I'm looking it up on baseball reference right now. So yeah, Josh Gibson had a 214 career OPS plus playing in the Negro Leagues. Babe Ruth was 206. Yeah, uh, and Josh Gibson is still like I never bothered to look at his accomplishments until recently, and he is uh, definitely up there in like the greatest player to never play in a major league game. Um, there's not many better ones than him. Uh, his power, like the way they talk, it's like just like if you if you if you have not if you're watching this and you have not looked into Josh Gibson's numbers, they're ridiculous. Like he six point six percent home run rate. I wonder how that compares to Aaron Judge. He, uh, if he played a full His season, it'd be season. like an 83 home run season is the, is the number I've heard. That's like a conservative. Like there's one thing, like if if, the, if all the stories are true, he would have like a 120 home run season. Aaron Judge had a career home run rate of 7%, if you want to compare. That's, uh, uh, yeah, that's ridiculous. No, not 22, his career. 22 is 9%. Nine percent. Okay. Um, All right. So. All right. So we're gonna get back on topic to the uh, Dimex opening day roster here. So we're fifth starter competition. We'll talk about that. The last two candidates: Dre Jameson, Ryan Nelson, both on the opening day roster. Nelson ended up winning the fifth rotation spot, whereas Jameson will start the season as the long man in the bullpen. So do you have any thoughts on how you thought the uh, competition went around, especially between those two? Um, it's it's backwards. They got it backwards. Like I I, I agree with a lot of people on the lines uh, on Twitter's the the Twitter opinions of that they have it backwards. Um, Ryan Nelson seems like you know his skill set and like they're like, they're, like where they're at developmentally. Uh, would fit better in the bullpen, and Jameson would fit better as the fifth starter spot. But on the other hand, um, I, I I don't think you're going to necessarily. Uh, I think I think Jameson is is up to being you know like working in that role, and it does give him like I think that would actually help him more than putting Nelson in the bullpen this season. Like I think in terms of their development, what they did is the best thing they can do. Um, yeah, Dre would agree with still, you with the uh, bullpen helping his development. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, it would be good to see him put in high leverage situations where you can, you know, he can be challenged against the best hitters in the game because he's got the stuff to to obviously like strike out. Um, you know, he's got like I mean, like high like high ninety hundred mile per hour. can basically strike anybody out. Yeah, so uh, putting in the bullpen is not 
as as unorthodox as of a decision that is. Um, I'm I'm okay with it. It just seems like uh, at first glance to be a little backwards. Yeah. I'll say Nelson and his secondary stuff is a lot better than maybe you'd think. Just had trouble throwing it earlier this spring. I think his fastballs yeah. back a little bit, but it's still it's still got pretty decent shape. It's not as firm as it was in the three starts he was in last year. It was more similar to his third start than his first two. I mean, it's still it, like a matter of like regardless of spring training results. Like there, it's spring training. Like it's like like that uh, that 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 meme. Like we're talking about practice. Got to remember that. Like this, that spring training is practice. Um, a lot of people like may not be, you know, giving it like a hundred percent. They're they're still kind of getting into the, like the mindset of like you know playing in, the, in a season. Like it's completely different because like some guys like they have to be in a game that matters for them to play a hundred percent. Like there's just something that says the personality where it is like personally I have trouble. With, I would I have trouble with that. Like spring training, I'm gonna I'm gonna screw around a lot. Just try to work out things, you know, test things out, uh, yeah, and especially with these, these, especially with the rule is. changes. Yeah, and, and Granky's like that too. Like, you look what he's been doing in this spring training. He's been totally just messing around. So is Scherzer. So is like pretty much every like because I mean, this is a good example of this season. Just like how a lot of uh, uh, people, like pitchers especially, have to look at spring training as a chance to test things out because they don't normally have the opportunity to to test things out in a game. Yeah, you know, so usually just your, first, bull, your bullpen sessions. Yeah. It's the first spring training where both hitters and pitchers are kind of feel, more so feeling out the new environment. Yeah. At the same time, is, as opposed to one or the other. Yeah. This is certainly the first time that we've had like such significant rule changes and as many rule changes implemented all at once, you know, um, like to, like in a season, like I really, I think like, this is like when with like the DH in uh, like the seventies and like that was pretty much the the yeah. first major rule change that we that the game saw, and then uh, the mound being raised and lowered, and obviously the ball. But um, yeah, this is significant, and like they they need time to adjust and, uh, and play the game, you know. Like, and then once the season starts, they can actually take it seriously, give it one hundred percent. We're gonna say, and I, uh, it's. Like I said, it's practice now. Like tomorrow, tomorrow it'll be like serious, and we'll what's going to be really like uh, where we're actually going to like see how this affects people because I really don't think that uh, the rule changes uh, have a hundred percent been worked out. You know, I think some people have been trying to test the boundaries on it. So um, going forward, we can really be a judge of what what's like how these affect the game. You know. Yeah, I was going to also mention it's. I think one of the main reasons they decided to give the nod to Nelson, you mentioned that it's better for Nelson's development to start as opposed to Jameson. But also, uh, it also looked like Nelson got better as he kept going along. Had a, in the last two times that I seen Nelson against the Rockies on the 17th of March, that was uh, that was the, really the first start he had his breaking ball work where he was able to throw his breaking ball for called strikes and it kept the Rockies off balance. They couldn't get to it. it. Made his fastball much more. I guess you can say as added some perceived velocity to it. Cause they couldn't sit on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. do you have the, well, like I, I, I mean, that was 10, that was 10 days ago. So, um, more than that. Um, 
so there's that I kind mean, of data for that game if you're wondering. Yeah, I mean, I would assume that his velocity is going to tick up a little bit, and uh, there's there's going to be there be progression, you know, like the, the last 12, 12 days. So basically, this is like two weeks. So I would I would hope that there be better results now, but um, it's yeah, I think it's better for for Nelson developmentally to be in the starting rotation uh, where he can work more into the role. Jameson looked ready, uh, to be honest, like last season. So. Um, I think that, like you know, it's it's a way to to proceed with both these players on the roster at the major league level, uh, and that like fits where they're at, you know, overall, like developmentally and everything else. I was going to say Nelson also threw really well yesterday, probably with the confidence that he won the rotation spot. His fastball looked better. Brick, he was able to throw all four of his pitches for strikes. Got some whiffs on all of them. So that was the best he's looked since probably his start against the Dodgers at Chase Field last year. Uh, yeah, it's think- it's uh, that was uh, like I said, I think he's trending in the right direction. Perhaps uh, perhaps once he gets out there, I think we might, like I said, you see better results, knowing the confidence that he can take these guys on. Yeah, that's that's really where where it's at. Like, I think that you can be confident. Like, the great Jameson, like from uh, just hearing him talk about it, like he seems like he's up for uh, being in high leverage, competitive, you know, situations out of the bullpen. And he'll probably be the long relief guy, which I, I don't. The game's evolving, so we really don't know right now, like how this will all work. It's gonna be a much faster paced game. Um, I, I would hope that we don't leave him in the bullpen is my only concern because we've really kind of wasted a lot of guys. I mean, it's not it's not comparable to to Archie Bradley necessarily. I've seen that nah, uh, thrown out there. He's a much better pitcher than Archie Bradley. Yeah. And especially yeah. at the same points that they were in, in their careers. So yeah, let's talk about beyond Thank 2023 you. with these two pitchers. All right. So do you have, where do you have Jameson long-term? We all assume. Um, he kind of reminds me of uh, like, I don't I, like I could, I could see him. We were kind of like find comparables. And the best one I can think of is like Tim Lincecum. I actually really like the, that comp, but he's much more athletic than him. Athletic, stronger. Yeah. So I think like a more athletic Tim Lincecum, who's who's uh like I mean like it's great he's faster than Corbin Carroll, like I don't I don't know if you know that and thank thank you so much I'm I'm doing much better today, uh it's you just have to be careful about like supplements that you take is the the lesson that I learned uh even even melatonin or something like that can affect your your you know have side effects so talk to your doctor before you take a supplement. Um, yeah, for cover. I'm looking up Lincecum's control years with the Giants, by the way. Really, Lincecum had a four-year peak. Yeah, I I think he'll be more durable than Lincecum. Like, I don't mean, I I mean, like, Lincecum in the most positive ways. Like, I think that he, uh, he, like, I, there's really not a comparable. It's just in terms of, like, his height, the fact that he throws hard, uh, the overall build. Uh, kind of, you know, but like like Michael was saying, more, much more athletic. Like I said, he's he's faster than Corbin Carroll. Supposedly, he can beat him in a foot race, which is, um, that's impressive. Like I don't, it's like, 
you think Olympic sprinters, not Dre Jameson, when you're thinking of someone who can, you know, beat Corbin Carroll in the foot race because he's a very fast guy. Jameson's definitely a very explosive athlete. I think it's Tim Lin- um, Tim Lincecum, except with more muscle. Would be yeah, that's yeah. The, the comp. Yeah, he's like he's like a thicker Tim Lincecum. That's that's actually like where I, I put that. Nelson's. I mean, it's not to Nelson to to talk down his like talent. Like he's got very. Uh, Nelson's good got a very good stuff. fastball, like I said. Long, yeah, and he has the body type to throw a good one too. Long, long arms, lanky build, gets really good extension yeah. off the pitch, kind of thing. And it's a vertical shaped fastball, so it's very conducive for swings and misses or getting pop ups. Yeah, he's got he's got the starts for him. Like it, his his pitching, uh, like his like this the pitches that he throws, like he's a little bit behind. Like in terms of like, like if you look at those, I like guess the whole the fact that Brandon fought was set down was still surprising. But like I actually think he'll be better than I uh, has a better chance of being like you know a successful starter long term than either of the two. And that's just like more it says about his polish, like how polished he is and his stuff. But uh, Nelson and Jameson both have better stuff. I'd say uh, in terms of velocity, uh, I. I think Nelson may have uh, like uh, I, I just like this in terms of like just raw stuff out of the three of them. Like you, he's yeah. probably got the best. I and it's, has it's the best really. Thing. I'm just talking about like pure velocity. Like I think velocity, like in terms of potential, based on their height, build, and uh, you know, like where their fastball sits. Like Drake, Drake Jameson is like tapped out in terms of like his velocity. I don't. I don't think he's going to get much more than where he's at. Nelson, I think, I think he, he gets. Uh, yeah, he doesn't need much more. But Nel- uh, Nelson certainly could develop uh, a little bit more. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he cut. He if he could because he has the build with like longer arms and like body type where he he certainly could throw a little harder. So and then Fott is just like the kind of big, you know, control pitcher that you know like, has been a thing in, in MLB Nelson, forever. Almost equally as hard as Fott and Nelson have a similar velocity. Number. Yeah, you you've seen you've seen more of uh, Fott uh, than I have, and I know his his velocity has ticked up a little bit more. He's basically comparable to Nelson, like you're saying. Uh, yeah, fast great chances. He's just a freak athlete, though, in terms of like freak explosive athlete that can deadlift. Like yeah, he could be an and Olympic that's the thing. That, oh, I I. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, like, literally, Have I don't know. Have you seen him that. deadlift? No, I haven't. So I would love to. If he's like, if that, I mean, that says a lot to his, like, his potential as an athlete. Like, I'm saying, like, he's about tapped out. What, he's like, f- he, they're all close to tap, maxed out physically. Anything else that he, he does is like, would be to his detriment, like, in terms of his fitness. Like, if he put on even, he'd have to do steroids to put on more muscle, first of all. I don't think he'll get away with that in MLB these days. Um, yeah, especially a guy of his stature. He'd notice quicker. It's the only, yeah, he doesn't have the build to, yeah, you would notice if he started doing, <laughs> that's certainly true. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, in terms of like, I think that like, uh, Nelson, Nelson should be really good in the fifth starter role. I'd be surprised if he loses the, yeah, loses if, he, it, if he can you know, maintain like a consistent has, breaking ball, he'll stay in the rotation for a long time. Yeah, it's the fastball breaking ball that like really 
Like I think he's that you can do that all, all day. Stick. It's not a matter yeah. of Arsenal. It's just a matter of consistency. I think with Nelson, if he can throw his curveball for strikes, slider, throw that where he needs to, and, and then the changeup, I think it flashes above average. Like he's got the potential he's for the one, four above average pitches. The the biggest change I saw in spring training over with with Ryan Nelson is he has a much more repeatable mechanics where he can you know be consistent. Each I think the pitch clock will actually help him a little bit in terms of. Uh, maintaining the rhythm and making the right mechanics like you know stick because if you look at footage from last year he he did not have repeatable mechanics like he was all over the place and i think that's one of the reasons why he that in the pitching environment um certainly didn't help either but yeah he's used to the pitch clock by the way this isn't his first rodeo with it yeah this this isn't his first rodeo with it yeah um, he did have. He tried to make some mechanical changes last year, which ended up backfiring, and then they got back, back yeah. to where he was before. I think where he's at now, like I was, like I don't know the footage that I, I've seen. Like I, I looked through all like as like progression from when he was drafted, like on YouTube. Like there, you can find footage of most guys, and I. Uh, there's no consistency between like how he finishes, like his his front leg is is all over the place in the footage like it goes from being like really like clean repeatable mechanics to like uh like this wild violent leg kick to uh back to something really clean like i really like what he did this this uh spring training like it seems like he he can make that work and it, it, it's been working so um i think he'll stick i'd be surprised if he doesn't um i think it's really the only obstacle right now are uh Madison Bumgarner and Zach Davy, uh, Zach Davies, because I think all like, like honestly, uh, the rotation would be way better off having Brandon Fott and Dre Jameson in those two uh, starting position roles over Madison Bumgarner and Zach Davies. Like I think we, like I would be much more confident in having say, like saying like the Diamondbacks are going to have a winning season this season if they, you know, if they did that. I'm less confident because we have Madison Bumgarner and Zach Davies. See what happens when Bumgarner's allowed to call his own pitches. Yeah, that's that's gonna be interesting with, with what he uh how how he like it's like always the older guys that like uh, I think are gonna have the, the most trouble with the pitch clock still. And like Dave, it's 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 a baseball players are a creature of habit. Yeah. Davies. Yeah, I I think that like Davies uh I, I don't he's a I don't even I don't even know how where to begin on my thoughts on Zach Davies without uh, getting libelous. So um like he's I don't I think he's is not a very good pitcher. That's really I the think, thing. I was gonna say best case scenario gives you league average production for about hundred and fifty yeah. innings. Yeah, he's yeah. you know, he's an innings eater is kind of his thing where you know, you know you can get take give the bullpen some time off, he'll go deeper into a game. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Will he throw it to yeah, better locations more confident in the pitch, though, is the question. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I don't know. Madison Baumgartner is, is a, is an enigma, in my opinion. Or, you know, this is a Mason Saunders, the uh, rodeo. Is it an enigma or person. is I think that he has been thrown from, coming, a, but th- from a bowl a few too many times, is really what I think happened with Madison Baumgartner. I think is he. He, yeah, or the dirt bike, or anything else, because he he just has made some uh, things that would not 
he's been hit in the head a few times. So that's where, I, like, I think he has uh, some issues. <laughs> no offense, <laughs> but uh, like, I yeah, it, it doesn't matter where he throws if he, if his calling the game, he's still throwing like he was last season. He's not going to be any good this season. Um, he's lost. Uh, what was what were his velocity numbers uh, this this spring? Do you know? I know he pitched a lot of ninety. Okay, he's done. I really think he's done. Like, but he I wasn't be... necessarily hit hard by Cleveland. It was just a bunch of small mistakes adding up. One inning. His first base run. It was a uh, two of the base runners was him being slow to cover first, and then another one was throwing a ball away when he had plenty of time to get the throw off the first. I think there was only one hard hit ball from that game. Pull it up. I have it up. My curse would let me. All right, so I'll pull it up here. Bumgarner exit velocity. Okay, so yeah, only three balls hit above a hundred. Two by Jose Ramirez, and he does that to everyone. Of course, one of them was a double play ball. It was the triple and the single in the fourth inning. There were two. All right, looks like we lost him for a bit, but yeah. If Bumgarner can't make it work with calling his own pitches, having the confidence to throw what he throws, yeah, I think it'll be a chance chance the te- team decides to cut their losses. We'll find out. Ten starts will probably be right around the end of May. So we can get West back real quick. But yeah, if there's an injury to the rotation, I think they're going to try. It depends on when Jamison throws. Like I said, if Dre stretched out, yeah, I think they will put him back in. I would say the order is probably Jamison, if possible. If not, then they'll call up Henry and then Fott. So Fott requires a 40 Fott requires a 40 man roster move, although they will have clear roster space. If they need to with the 60-day injured list because Martin and Melanson aren't coming back anytime soon. Kelly would be interesting because it's going to be close to 60 days, I think, with Carson Kelly. But uh, I don't think they put him on there to start the season. In regards to Bumgarner, they owe him $23 million for this season and $14 million for next year. So $37 million left on that contract. So I think he gets at least 10 starts to figure out and if it's uh, more of the same from last year, I think they'd cut their losses and decide that they have a better chance of competing with guys like Fott and Henry. Given how well Fott pitched this spring, I would like to see him on first on the, I guess you can say, the line for call-ups. Like I said. Like I said, there are worse contracts out there than Bumgarner. Ask the Washington Nationals how that works. Currently experiencing some internet issues. We'll move on to the topic topic of the National League Rookie of the Year race. So we know now that uh, Jordan Walker will indeed be on the St. Louis Cardinals opening day roster. As we, and so that'll throw his name into the competition as well. We also 
also published an article on Inside the Diamond Max that listed five candidates that could beat Corbin Carroll out for Rookie of the Year. Jordan Walker's the leading candidate, of course, on those. But the other four names that I included are Miguel Vargas, who will be playing second base for the Dodgers this season. Mets right-hander Kodai Zanga, 30-year-old that the Mets signed at Japan for $75 million, five-year contract. Of course, well-known for his ghost fork. and has a pretty good north-south game with an upper 90s fastball on that ghost fork. So I can see him creating some noise in a year where maybe there's no leading candidate for rookie of the year, although between Carroll and Jordan Walker, I'd be surprised that there isn't. And then the other two names that I included are Ezekiel Tovar from the Rockies and Garrett Mitchell from the Brewers. So there's going to be pretty interesting. It's going to be some pretty interesting. It's going to be a very interesting rookie of the year competition, I think. Yeah, I would agree that Jordan Walker is the biggest threat because Walker in a full season could be uh, 25 home runs. I don't think Carol. I don't know if Carol's going to hit 20. But although I'll say if Carroll hits 20, he's going to be tough to beat. Walker's going to hit 25 homers, I think. And he's going to be in the outfield instead of his natural spot at third base, so maybe he's not as great defensively. But given the uh, given what I've seen Walker in the outfield in the fall league, I think he'll be fine. So what numbers would he have to put up? So what numbers? I would say Corbin Carroll probably has to hit about close to 300, near 20 home, about 20 homers. 30 steals and probably needs to put up some really good defensive numbers in the outfield. He'll be playing left field. So it'll be la- so you can almost pencil him in for gold glove. It's not necessarily defense first position. Yeah. You probably have to probably have to take what he did last year and extrapolate it over a full season. The 32 games and then just multiply those numbers by five. That's what you need to see. Although I think he'll hit better than 260. Unless he, because that 260 average comes with like a really bad performance against left-handed pitchers. Spencer Steer. Yeah, Spencer Steer to me is a dark horse candidate, obviously. <laughs> I guess you could have like a Japan rookie, rookie of the Year award. Guys that signed a major league contract. That Aussie. Wait, then again, that Cor- Corbin Carroll would apply if I set it up that way too, since he signed an eight-year major league extension. Spencer Steer, I think, could be interesting. Like I said, play shorts. He's going to have plenty of opportunities to play shortstop with the Reds. Although he's going to get bumped off, I think, once Ellie De La Cruz gets there. He might move over either to second or third. Senga. If it was a, Senga, obviously, has the highest floor of all these rookie classes because uh, he's already at his prime. Whereas Carol Walker getting aren't even close to their physical prime. Like I said, Jordan Walker is going, I think Jordan Walker is one of those guys where if he was a year older, I think he'd be even more a threat because I, when I saw him in the fall last year, he was hitting, he was hitting nukes at 113 miles an hour at the age of 20. Insane. So yeah, Corbin Carroll hasn't hit a single homer this spring. I'm not too worried about his power. He's putting up some pretty pre- impressive exit velocities already. So I know, I know he's hit a ball at least 110 a couple times. Jordan Walker, like I said, Jordan Walker is probably going to be near the top of the exit velocity table in a couple of years. So 
be on the lookout for that, like I said. I wouldn't be surprised if he won an MVP award with the Cardinals at some point. Because eventually Goldschmidt's going to get too old to win MVPs. Same with Arenado. That's your best stop. And beyond Carroll and Walker, I think it's going to be... It would, ha- it would require those two to ha- not necessarily have the season that we all anticipate them having. For the other candidates to win, Tovar is not really necessarily known for power. He's more of a well-rounded short... A good defender shortstop with enough stick. Stick to stay in the big leagues. He'll hit for a decent amount of power, like 15 homers maybe in a full season. Because... I don't think course. I don't know what course field does for inflating home runs, although his road numbers are going to suffer because playing in course field is very taxing. Very taxing. So that's why the Rockies always have some poor road splits because their bodies retire when they move move down to sea level. It's a constant adjustment. That's why you see that with the Rockies, maybe not necessarily a team like the Denver Broncos, who play once a week. So as I mentioned, the article includes Miguel Vargas, although, like I said, I don't think Vargas has comparable home run power to Walker. And I don't think he'll do much more with the outside of the bat to uh, catch attention like Corbin Carroll would be able to do. The fifth can, I listed Garrett Mitchell. Obviously, he's not going to strike out 40% of the time or post a balls and play average of uh, 538. But Mitchell's a guy, if he makes enough contact, could make this race interesting. My opinion, because he's kind of he's kind of like a similar tool set to Carroll, bigger body, six three two twenty five. I think it was listed at. So it certainly has the body type to hit a lot of home runs. Like I said, and you'll have an opportunity to hit for a lot of home runs because Miller Park is definitely. Uh, actually, I'll need to take a look at that Miller Park's park factors, but I think it's a pretty good hitter's park for a left-handed hitter. Oh, it's not called Miller Park anymore. My mistake. It's American Family Field. So yeah, it it's a good home run park for a left-handed hitter. It looks like. Look up Stackcast Park Factors. We'll look it up on Stackcast. So American Family Field. So for home runs, it definitely inflates. We'll definitely look at bat side, left side. So in 2022, it it massively inflates home runs for left-handed hitters. So I could see Garrett Mitchell putting up 20 to 25 home runs. um, It's not just Yelich, although I don't think Yelich has had a great season in a while. Since his uh, near-MVP season, Yelich has been been an Probably closer to an average player. Although Yelich has always struggled with the fact he doesn't really play a good position. But if you look at his MVP season in 2018 and then nearly repeating in 2020, he was arguably the best hitter, offensive player in the game. That's what Baseball Reference says. But since then... His bat has kind of gone from elite to good. Okay to good.
yeah, I don't think he, that injury, I think, affected. It's one of those things I call a career altering injury where the guy's career won't be the same, but he'll still be a productive player. Kind of like what happened to Todd Helton in 2005. Where they're now, they're no longer at their, where their peak is cut short by an injury, but they end up sticking around and reinvent themselves. In the case of Yelich, his power is, uh, Yelich's power is kind of evaporated. Like I said, his last great season in 2019, 44 home runs. Since then, he's combined for 35 after his 36 and 44 home run season. And he's like post peak Yelich is is solid, but not necessarily an elite player anymore. Not worth the contract they gave him. All right. The NL West, like I said, it feels like it's. I would agree, it feels like the Padres' year. If the Padres stay healthy, I they have a good shot. Although the Dodgers are really good at maximizing the value they get out of their players. Although they don't necessarily have the same cast as they've had in past years. Their infield's definitely taken a hit. Losing guys in free agency between uh, free agency, the Lux injury, free agency, the Lux injury, and then uh, so they kind of have Miguel Vargas moving over to second base. Obviously, is another one. Like the only infielder that's the, the only infielder they have from la- that's going to be the same from last year is Freddie Freeman at first base, and their outfield is much different as well. Uh, Chris Taylor's going to be playing more of an infielder role. So that's less outfield time for him. So that's, you got Peralta splitting time in left field. James Outman, I think, will be splitting time in center and right. Actually, no, Mookie Betts is going to be probably playing a lot of right field this year. Although, theoretically, if they lost Vargas, Betts could slide over to second base. So, yeah, Betts in the outfield, I think they're going to ham and egg it, the other two. It's going to be matchups for center and left field. I think originally we're going to have Chris Taylor kind of the right-handed bat in both center and right and left field. Like I said. And then, yeah, this would be, this would be the year if the Padres stay healthy. I think they could take the Dodgers. So the Dodgers have a way of getting the the most out of their players, but the Dodgers are also very banged up. Right, wants to be jump in pretty soon. Be moving on to the uh, topic of the bullpen once he's here. Yeah, we'll t- talk about the shift. And Wes and I talked about the shift a little bit earlier on stream, but basically, the right left handed hitters are going to benefit more on the aggregate than the right handed hitters will because. They won't have that three-man overshift on the right side of the infield. So, obviously, I think Corbin Carroll actually benefits the most from the reduction of shifts, believe it or not. There's more chances that a ball will sneak through on a ground ball to the right side for him. And then after Carroll, I would say the most beneficial hitter would be... Maybe Alec Thomas, who... But Thomas hits a lot of ground balls to the right side. Not necessarily Mm -hmm. hit as hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Corbin Carroll benefits the most, would be my opinion. Uh, 
So, curiously enough, I think it was Narco the Jack posted on uh, Inside Dimex today. The article obviously focuses on the team's speed and the stolen bases potentially going up, but also balls and play average. For left hand hitters is going to go up, went up 14 points. Wait, no. I'm trying to remember. No, never mind. I must have, saw it, must have seen it on Twitter. That's what it was. But yeah, left-handed balls in play average in spring training went up to 320, went up 13 points from last year from 314 to 327. I could see the bullpen. I could see the bullpen being better this year, but we're, there this year, they certainly have better arms. It starts with uh, starts with Carlos Vargas, obviously, in his 100 mile an hour fastball, making the opening day bullpen. Bullpen, and obviously, McGuff's look. Okay, I don't like I said if he's fastball reliant, I think he's in trouble. And then Miguel Castro's looks solid, especially taking a step forward when it comes to throwing strikes when he's had to, especially when he's noted for not necessarily being a consistent strike thrower earlier in his career. So it'll be a pretty interesting. Like I said, McGuff and Var- uh, Castro are going to be the high leverage guys, whether they admit whether the team admits it or not. Like I said you just put the dots together. Like on Monday night, Castro threw the eighth inning after the team scored four runs, put up a zero, actually retired to side in order pretty easily. To set up the eighth inning comeback with De Los Santos, Lawler, and everyone else. And then McGuff pitched the ninth inning after they took the lead, got the save. Figure those two will get the high leverage innings. Chafin might in there. I think he was one of the pitchers that was handed at struggling to pitch clock. It was pretty evident there with him. I think once Chafin gets used to the new pace of play, I think it'll be a little bit better. And then uh, Jamison's certainly going to be better than your typical long man. So it's going to be almost similar to Archie Bradley's first month in 2017. Similar role, but I don't think Jamison's going to be moving to the back end of the bullpen. More like the uh, rotation. Yeah, Martinez is a pretty interesting... I, mean, I don't think he's going to be first up with injury. But I think, he'd be up, I think he'll be up by the end of May. Like I said, I don't know how challenging AAA will be, but... Martinez throwing 100 is much different than the Martinez I saw in the fall league, which was 96, 98. If he's throwing 100 miles an hour, it's a much different projection. Yeah, in fact, if you watched him yesterday, he was facing guys that he probably didn't face much skill at all last year. He was in double A pretty quick once he was off recovered from Tommy John surgery, and I don't even think he's 100% back yet, what the velocity is. One of those things you want to make sure... Martinez's is health, uh, arm is healthy and he's throwing strikes before you call him up in the big leagues. But I think once he gets, once it's fine tuned, like I said, I don't think his mechanics are necessarily bad. Bad. Once he kind of tightens that up, I think you're going to see him move quickly to the back end of the bullpen. Similar with Vargas. I think Vargas is a little bit further ahead because he's a, a year further removed from his own surgery. Although I don't remember if Var- Carlos Vargas had Tommy John surgery. There's no record of it. Double check. Yeah, okay, yeah, there was. Charles Vargas had Tommy John surgery in early in 2021. 
But once uh I say once Martinez is in the once Martinez is kind of showcased in a few outings in triple A that he can throw strikes and he's further removed from the injury, I think we'll see him up sooner rather than later. I would definitely say one of the first three arms for sure. Not sh- uh I'm not sure how Ryan Hendricks finished um Ryan Hendricks fits into everything. Obviously he didn't win the competition, but his strong finish this spring, I think, definitely got him on the organization's radar for a potential call up mid season. He says like a middle reliever sinker slider guy. Oh wait, let's go to the other one. Sorry about that. Yeah, I think I, I finally <laughs> figured out my technical Yeah, we're talking about the bullpen. What do you think of Martinez? Oh, he's still a little raw. I don't think he's ready for the... I mean, he's got stuff, obviously. He throws hard as hell. I mean, like, the hardest throwing pitchers uh, in the major leagues. Honestly. No, he throws like, harder he than throws everyone. Very hard. I mean, probably... Yeah, he's probably the hardest throwing uh, pitcher on the on the, on the roster. The 40-man roster. Vargas right right behind that. And then, you know, Dre Jamison obviously throws really hard, too. But uh, he's raw. I don't think he's ready. I think he's going to need, uh, you know, more... I think he needs another season, probably. Maybe he's going to show like he could do show this season if he can be an above average uh, pitcher in Reno, especially. Um, if he can throw strikes in ready, Reno, he'll be fine. I, I don't think. Yeah, that's pretty much that's my attitude. Is like if he can uh, have a successful uh, season in Reno, with strikes and uh, it does. He just he's he's so young. First of all, like I know he's like, is he like twenty one? Uh, what what what? 21, 20, something like that. So he's really young. Um, maybe 21 or 22 at the oldest. I mean, he doesn't turn 22 he, until the end of July. He, uh, he still needs another season or two. I think it's more needs another age 22 season or I don't, I remember he's a reliever, not a starter anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I really think he needs like another, like at least a month or two, if he can like prove it in Reno. If he doesn't prove it in Reno, I mean that can mean a lot of things because it's a like a terrible environment to pitch in. And most of the most of the competitions, uh, like they're really, I think there's only like one or two stadiums at sea level. Uh, Tacoma, I think, is one like of them. Maybe. Uh, I'm not as worried with Martinez like, pitching in AAA because just, if he can command the fastball, it it will work. Yeah, I mean, like he, he can, can outstuff big league hitters. Really, uh, I mean, yeah, he like has the stuff. I mean, he, I, I just think he, uh, in the limited baseball that I've seen him play, he, he needs more time. Like, I really, I mean, he's close. He's close to be. I mean, he could be the the, the bullpen uh, out of spring training, and I don't think he really like show what they were looking for. I mean, it's obvious that they're looking, they're looking at things that were not necessarily, uh, it was about pure performance. Brand thought would be in, you know, the number five starter, things like that. And it's obviously, uh, they're, they're looking at other variables that may not be obvious. Like they may, may have been working on just like, you know, a slider or like specific pitches or just, just the battle keeping in, you know, in, you know, commanding it in the right, the, the, in the right spot. That's 
uh, it's not necessarily obvious, but I don't think he's quite ready. Yeah, fastball command's not quite big league ready. Reno, if he throws his fastball for strikes, he'll be fine. Doesn't matter what level he pitches at. Reno, one of the things is like it's if he's like a league average for the PCL West, which is, does not look the same as a league average uh bullpen. Actually, they changed it up this league. year. There's like, no divisions in AAA. And the PCL doesn't have divisions. Yeah, they, yeah, didn't they, yeah, they okay, yeah, it was announced so yesterday. They got rid of that. Okay. Okay. I'm about to look at it. I did not see that. Um, yeah, check the Aces Twitter. Really, account. my my thing is is like is all, like one of the big uh, definitions of success of pitching in an environment like Reno would be one. Okay, if you give up a home run, you don't give up another two out. You know, following it to the next two 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 batters because you can't keep your cool. You're upset. You know, like that's really like the first thing you want to see in a pitcher is that like okay, yeah. well, what happens when he that the the wind shifts because there's one of the things about pitching in Reno is there's some the ball cheap places uh, the wind will blow runs. it out like it it's just the 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 topography of downtown Reno makes it very easy like, I mean it's not only just the altitude it's literally like the wind patterns created by the high rises in Reno uh shift the wind so it'll blow out some days on that and if you if you, like that's gonna happen even on like something would be like a normal fly ball out one two three inning you're gonna give a home run if you just give up a home run uh and that was it and it's three strikeouts uh, aside from that, that's that's successful to me. I don't know. Like, I mean, uh, a bad outing would be a guy who gives up, you know, three, four runs without getting an out because he gave up, you know, started off an inning giving up that, you know, that wind. Like something falls in and then you walk the next guy and then and boom, then, home three run home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, uh, you don't want to see that. That my definition of success is like, okay, when they do have, uh, you know, a, a rough outing, like how, how do they handle it? How are, I mean, it's more than just, you're looking at like what his stuff is. You're also looking at the mentality uh, that they need to, to be successful because that's, that really, that's a, it is, I, I it's actually, first of all, it's hard to work out at that level of altitude. Like the last time I was in Denver um, or like, no, I was in, I was in Colorado Springs, which is even higher. Colorado altitude. Springs is twice as high. I was out of breath. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm just saying, like, the higher you go up, it's it's hard on you. I mean, long term, it's good to train there, but like going back and forth from from basically Reno to Tacoma, back to Reno, and then is Reno actually is the highest elevation? Is it Las not? Vegas, Salt Lake City? I think Salt Lake City is higher. Let's look it up. Reno's like 4,500. I think it's yeah. I think yeah. It's, yeah okay, I, no, Salt Lake is lower. Albuquerque is a mile Salt Lake's high. Lower, but I mean, there's still some really like I, I mean like El, yeah, Albuquerque. That's Albuquerque is a little. Thank you. But Albuquerque is the same elevation as course. It used to be Colorado. It used to be Colorado Springs. They used to have the Sky Sox, and that was like one of the worst environments to pitch in, like even than any of these. But most of the environment, like really, they're they're run scoring environments. It's like not even necessarily the altitude. It's also uh, like it's a mountain, a mountain, you know, it's higher. You have thinner air, drier air. Um, Don't underestimate Las Vegas all, either. Yeah. Yeah. That's like Las Vegas is actually a very similar environment to, to chase with the, with the roof open. Honestly, like it's really not Ch- with the like, roof open, no humidor. That's what. Las yeah. Vegas no humidor. Like. <laughs> it's very, yeah. It's, it's very close to like old school chase with the roof open. Um, maybe a little better of a, a, 
I, you know, talking to some some people who've been to the ballpark uh, in Vegas, like it's 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 definitely a, a hitter's uh, like. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Like it's a hitter's park to people who've gone to games there. Like it's like half the reason why you go there is you're basically you're almost guaranteed to see you know see and catch maybe if you you're on it a home run ball, which is always fun. So I don't think. Um, I don't think a humidor makes Emeril Arena less homer homer prone. Yeah, no, it's already humid in Amarillo, so I don't know. No, it isn't. It's in the what, panhandle, isn't it? Is it? I, I mean, I don't. I, I guess I, it's I don't, a dry I've part of like Texas. This, I mean, that part of uh, is it there? Yeah, I don't. I I think Amarillo's I'm in the panhandle. Wrong. West Texas. I'm curious. I'm gonna have to look up the average humidity of Amarillo in the summer. Because I don't, I've not, I, I never really like, I could have sworn it was like a lower elevation. And I, no, but that would make sense. Uh, so, yeah, I'm pulling it up on Google Maps. Amarillo is indeed in the panhandle part of Texas. Okay. So, yeah, it's 3,600. You know, yeah, it's, it's pretty decent elevation there. What's it's the average? Almost directly east day? of Albuquerque. Okay, yeah, I totally did not place Amarillo right in my head. Uh, it's in, the, the, de- it's the, in the desert part of Texas, so it dry, it dry air actually makes it more hitter friendly. The annual, no, actually, no, the Unless annual relative wind? humidity is actually pretty high there. Uh, on September, it's uh, 60. On average, it's uh, 47, so it does get pretty humid. So it's not thick. It's also, a weird combination of, of altitude and humidity. And wind, and like, wind. It takes. Yeah, it does get imagine good. the wind in Reno, except supercharged. That's Amarillo. That's that's the number one uh, thing that people like have told me. Like talking to some of the uh, the the people work at work at the ballpark and Amarillo um, is the wind. Like it's really nothing else other than it gets super windy. There's lots of wind blown hits. There's lots of like you know the the ball will you know you think you're about to catch it and it'll drop things like that or you know the wind plays a heavy, heavy influence into the, the hitting environment there. Oh, so I think Diamondbacks intentionally rigged their minor league system to be very hitter friendly. So it would yeah. develop their pitchers better. I, I, that's, I could see that they, that they would do that, Michael, but like, it seems really like backwards to, to do that. Like let's give her hitter. Like, you know, one, it definitely does not help a hitter to always succeed. Like if no. you're always succeeding, succeed more often than you probably should. Yeah, and like to for pitcher, I guess that like weans out all the or like winnows out all the the bad pitchers that can handle the stress of pitching in like the worst environments ever. Because they're like it really it does actually feel like they pick some really tough environments throughout their system. They're really like what it's Hillsborough, and. Uh, they don't want to make it completely one-sided. That's what Hillsborough well, yeah, is Yeah, Hillsborough is the one pitcher's park in in the upper levels of the, of the minors. Uh, it is on the it, opposite extreme. Yeah, it's, and park. it's it's a, a definitely a, a pitcher-friendly ballpark. So they have one place where they can, can succeed, and it's it's that. And the rest are all like really – Visalia is very hitter-friendly. Uh, that's in like uh, the Coachella Valley area. So it's like you know similar desert area. It, Vizilla yeah, plays very much like Chase. I think that's really may, might be what they're doing because even Amarillo, as like it's, it's not 
that far off in altitude from Phoenix in terms of like they do. I think part of it's like monsoonal influence, like you know, you get in Arizona to some extent, blows up through Texas. Well, the roof's gonna be closed at Chase Field during monsoon season. Yeah, so I mean, really, like I don't really, I can, I get why they would select the 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 environments that they did. Uh, I guess that's the next best thing than having a a triple A team in Tucson. Um, I mean, it makes sense about that. Hey, that's actually the best the best place to, to model uh you know the environment than chase is literally like if they if they just had a better stadium here uh, I was gonna say they're like I, um yeah I'm not sure what caused them to leave Tucson like I said there's probably no re- they're probably not gonna come back. So. It was a it was a bunch of things from the like you know one is it's it's in a bad location for attendance. I don't ever see uh, a triple A team succeeding at Keno Ballpark. It just the, no one wants to go out there. It's way out of the way. It's bad. It's bad parking. Um, it's near in a bad neighborhood. Um, what if it was at High Corbett Field? If it was high, if they re- renovated High Corbett, I think a team could succeed here because that's like right off a bus line. It's central to the city. There's no parking there. Is really the problem with Big Street, High Corbett, right off of Big Street, Broadway. Yeah, I mean, it's really it's it's perfect uh, for a minor league. I mean, even downtown, if they had one like U of A is not giving up that park though for those reasons. The original uh, plan that I had heard before they built Kino was to build one and basically on the other side of the freeway from downtown. That makes perfect sense because the buses go there, the cars go there, everything is built. So, I mean, the, the only real trouble would be along, along uh, you're gonna have, if they wanted to bring the triple A team back to Tucson, really you have to have something up in ready to go by in, 2030. Get back in Tucson, and until that happens, it's, it will never happen. Like, for the Tucson's leadership, is it's like I totally, I it's more than one thing with, with the uh minor league baseball i mean even like i mean one obviously the padres weren't going to succeed here having a minor league team like who's going to support the padres but it's it's uh it's a whole bunch of things like i just don't see as as useful as it would be to have even like you know a team here or like like you know a, a lower level team here um it's just like the politics the locations of the the stadiums like it just doesn't it just, just doesn't work out and yeah the u of a is not going to give up high corporate at this point so um like it really it's just it's just a sad situation all around for you know that the second largest city in arizona so i'm a, I'm a little salty obviously i'm gonna say pitching in tucson i think would be equivalent to pitching in las vegas since the elevation and dry air is similar Tucson's actually higher than Las Vegas. Like Tucson is, feet. yeah, it's slightly higher. There's parts of the city that are like equivalent to to Vegas. There's parts that are a little higher. Um, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's a pretty close environment. Reno is actually not uh, in the summer, not that off in terms. Of, like, I mean, it's a little higher elevation, but um, the ballpark factors of of the Aces Stadium and TP are pretty much the same. Like, I mean, in terms of, like, they're both hitters ballparks. Like, there's really not much of a difference. Um, I'd have to look at dimensions, but in terms of like what they did, um, it makes sense. I was going to say Reno's not necessarily, 
one break that Reno has, I think, compared to Tucson is obviously Reno isn't as dry. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Reno plays a little bit more pitcher friendly than Tucson would hypothetically do. Yeah, you you would think Lake Tahoe does influence like there's there's more humidity earlier in the season than in like, I mean, it gets really humid in Tucson in August and uh, September, like ungodly humid, especially with heat. And um, it's, it doesn't get that humid, but it's like overall the humidity is, uh, I think it's higher than here on like, you know, throughout the season, it's at like an overall higher baseline. But yeah, that's, that's not, I don't know. I don't think pitching outdoors in the heat in a hundred degree weather, like regardless really makes sense. Like the baseball season is not, not tailored for, for Arizonans, unless you're playing inside. Should have, if you ever get the chance to, Oh wait, might not too, but uh, if I ever get the chance to actually could ask Brett Strom what was like coaching, being a pitching coach in Tucson. Oh, oh you should. And I'm sure he has some good stories. Should. He's hinted at I'm a couple sure of them before. I'm sure he has fantastic stories. I mean, he he's a, a resident here, and he knows it, he knows it very well. So, and he, like he said, he has experience. Like, was he coached for the U, like U of A like previously? Is that right? No, he went to. I thought he went to USC. Because he's from Southern know. California. I know. I know. I know. He's worked as a pitching coach out here, regardless. Because it's like he would know. I, I think mean, he it was like, when he, Houston. I think it was when Houston had a AAA affiliate out here. Yeah, they had the Toros. So yeah, he they would he would he would have experience here. That's what you're. Every other week, he always talks about because we were talking about um, pitching in Reno, and then obviously he brings up the example of he always brings up the example of Daryl Kyle and coaching him up in Tucson. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So yeah, no, he would have been uh, a pitching coach here earlier in his career. So when they, I think the Astros were the affiliate before the Toros came into town or before the Sidewinders came into town. So I know it was, I know it was Cleveland in uh, like the early nineties, like up until like 94. And then it was, uh, that might've been spring training. Oh, I mean, right, you know, so, it might be the it might be the eighties actually. So that, if you're wondering, it's changed hands a few times. Dale Kyle pitched in Tucson from nineteen nineteen eighty nine, up and down, I think a bit. Also was there okay, in eighty nine, nineteen ninety, and then ninety two and ninety. Well, ninety five was more of a rehab, I think. But he was always up and down. So it was, it was the ERAs in Tucson were pretty high. It was the Astros affiliate before the. Uh, it was the Diamondbacks affiliate, the Toros. Okay. 1990 Houston Toros. Team ERA was five. Oh, yeah, see? It's pretty much the same. It was. It's It's always been um, a challenge pitching in, like, the desert, I guess. Um, because those ballparks just... don't have uh, a roof like Chase Field does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, just like a baseball doesn't make sense outside in Arizona. It really, it makes sense in in winter. Like pretty much outside of the summer. Fantastic location for a winter league. Yeah, it's just. I mean, that's um, why they put the fall league there. It was puzzling. Yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah, the fall league's fantastic. Um, I mean, that's pretty much the thing. Like, it's it. That's when like major league baseball needs to take more advantage of is like having like fall league in Arizona, like more of them, like that kind of thing. Like it's, it's a no brainer to do it in the winter. It's just in the summer. It's ungodly. 
Like I, That's what for. I can't imagine having to like throw full fours uh, for six innings plus uh, in like hundred degree. You know, like even like even by like sundown, if you're pitching, I mean, like you're starting a night game in Tucson. Uh, it's not as bad as Phoenix. It gets cooled down, but it could be overnight. It can be over ninety, uh, at, like first pitch, and still be pretty warm. And uh, right. the heat, like you can't have day games though. That's the thing. Like you, it doesn't. It just doesn't work. Ask University of University of Arizona probably does like a giant whole staff Sunday. That's just that's nothing unusual with a college game. Yeah, no, it's, college is that's. They're used to that. I mean, I've seen, I know some of the the U of A baseball players. Like they they will tell you, like it's really hard to go play in the middle of the day, and it's like you have to say like even. Yeah, I was gonna say, if you can handle Tucson, then if you can get to the College World Series, you're gonna do pretty well. I imagine there are some places that get pretty cold in the beginning and end of the season, but none of the Dimex affiliates kind of run into that. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, yeah, Hillsboro is pretty like maybe Hillsboro. It's like outside of like uh, in Oregon, if I remember correctly. Actually, I would say the coldest ballpark would probably be Amarillo. Yeah, it would be Amarillo. I mean, this time, I mean, it can get pretty cold in the winter, and uh, Reno actually has had snow, so I don't know what we're talking about. It's been snowing there. Hillsboro is just a little bit west of Portland. They've gotten like five feet of snow. How much snow? Uh, It's the highest record in Manitoba. It's the record, apparently. So over seven hundred inches. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Reno definitely does face cold cold conditions. That's a total. Reno uh, season starts in downtown. Friday. Yeah, their season starts. That's really interesting, and I I am gonna reach out to. The, the uh, Nichols. Voice, uh, voice of the Renos, uh, Kevin. No, Kevin. Kevin Domenico, He's the new uh, voice of the Renos. I'm. I'm. Would love to have have him on here and have him talk about uh, Reno's team once he's a little more familiar because he just like really just started with the, the Aces. There's going like, to be a lot of players like, coming up and down. Um, more between Reno. Might as well yeah. The so I, I actually did send him an email. And uh, hopefully he he'll uh, want to come on here and uh, talk about you know. But I think I would assume he'd want to talk uh, after he knows the players more, not like the first yeah. like week. You know, <laughs> like I, I don't know. That's how I literally when I interviewed him, he's like, "I just got this job, man." Like I like everyone's been like I asked him his experience with the Diamondbacks organization and um, like with the like Aces. Like he'd been out to the ballpark like once yeah. or twice. Like for the fan fest, he's been there for a week. Still have not he's still not moved to Reno yet. So like I said, let him get his bearings and then Yeah, I'm I think the best time to talk and, would be at around the all star break. Yeah, that's that's actually what I assumed was like I figured it would be like the all star break would be best because he's have a, a whole range of stories and uh prospects to talk about and be familiar with them and be familiar with the organization. So he did say he'd be interested in that and hopefully he'll be able to. So that would be nice to have him on here. So we're going to seg this into which prospects not currently on the opening day roster you think will make a big impact on the club this season. Um, Brandon fat, but yep. he's, he's, there's like, there's a, there's a fat chance that he will not be like make an impact this year. Like he's guaranteed. 
a starter starting pitcher will go down an injury like that's going to happen at some point it always happens yeah. someone's going to come you know need to be called up in that rotation maybe necessarily yeah. long term but he, i mean i think once he is given a chance uh to to be in the rotation he's going to hold on to it um i think i we might see a little bit of a Dominic Fletcher. I think that, like, if there's an injury to the outfielders, there's a chance we could see him. Paven Smith, uh, as well. I mean, uh, like the fringe, the guys who like really just didn't quite make the roster this this uh, spring training. Like, I think those are the guys that we're going to see. Like, be like, no, Paven's not a profit prospect at this point, but he might make an impact. Uh, but really, like, it's like Dominic Fletcher. I could see Jordan Waller flying through the system and being up, you know, but that that would be like an injury or something like that. Um, he's I was going to say it would take two injuries, I think, already. to get Waller. He's yeah, Perdomo is, has looked really good this spring. Um, he is He's looked much better than he has in years past. He looks, uh, he looks like he's going to hold on to that job, so I'm not like that concern if like Nick Ahmed goes down on injury, I think. But I think there's a chance you could see Jordan Waller. I mean, he's, he's already – had a Carol-esque rise through the through the farm so far, and if he continues that, like we could see him uh, easily by Most September. Is. I don't know if we make oh. if we're having a good run at that point, he could uh, make even more of an impact if we actually make the playoffs. So um, there's a chance of that. Very small, but it's possible. Would you have Waller coming up before or after the trade deadline? It would have to be after, after the, the trade deadline. And I mean, if if they're if it's a bad season and like we're not in it, I could certainly see them moving some additional pieces like, uh, you know, Ahmed and Walker and making room uh, for younger players like uh, Lawler, Davis and De Los Santos. Um, but I, th- I think, I think after, the, after the trade deadline, that's a, w- when was Carol called up? This is pretty much the, the timeline. August I see. 29th. I they'd want to re- retain uh, his rookie, rookie of the eligibility. Year eligibility in. So, um, yeah, but I would I'll also imagine counter by saying Jordan Lawler is going to be. You finish, Michael. Oh, I would say Jordan Lawler is not going to be a clear front runner for rookie of the year in 24, even the, like Carroll is this year, unless his defense yeah. drastically improves. Then I would agree. But yeah, I think defense I, I is really think... the only reason, like, maybe a hunt. I would say he only needs about 300 at bats in the minors. Yeah. He'll still get his, his bat, bat up here, his but his defense is going to be a work in progress in the next That's three it. to four years. It's going to look pretty ugly when he first comes up. Doesn't mean give up, by the way. Other than him as a shortstop yeah, no, at the get-go. That's definitely, it's, like, I think that if we see the same kind of progress that we've seen from him, you know, like if he does that with his defense, like what he's done with his bat, um, I think that, like, you know, he, he could follow a similar timeline to, to Carroll. That's more his makeup that makes me think that that he'll be, you know, along that. I mean, yeah, you you probably are more likely to be right about this than me because his defense does need a lot of work. Uh, Drew yeah, Jones he, is a guy like I. You easily could say that that next year would be, you know, uh, Jordan Lawler would be a leading candidate for Rookie of the Year, and then the year after, uh, Drew Jones if they follow like the same timeline and ask Carroll. It's odd how like weird their injuries and like just like I mean, obviously Jones may take was going to take longer than that he's really young yeah. he's missed uh I was, playing i was gonna say jones looks ready for a fill, for a a ball but it's a possibility 
And I've never seen anything like that where it's a rule change. Yeah, I was going to say, um, yeah, we'll probably see Drew Jones and A-Ball. I think, he, like I said, he, yesterday nearly conked out a home run the other way. Barely missed it, drove the right fielder all the way. Who was back to the, was on the fence when he caught it. Yeah, shows an ability I to hit the ball the other way, so I think he's going to hit. He looked good That's this it. spring. Like I, you would never know that he had like, like dislocated, dislocated his shoulder, and his, uh, you know, had surgery and all that. Like his swing looks really nice. Yeah, I think for Jones, you probably won't see as many like home runs as I would project. Early on, serious power, and he's already very big for his age. I think like Jones 20, is probably not going to hit five is probably more likely. Drew Jones is going to yeah, be one of those guys that's going to be uh, yeah, a fifteen to twenty homer guy when he first calls called up, but he'll get to thirty when he's like twenty five, twenty six. Oh yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, I think he's he like if you look at the way his his dad aged, like yeah, it, it seems like he. He was more of a late bloomer, and if, if it's like this guy's gonna put on more muscle and like like develop power like the in a similar in a similar way, um, he's he definitely will age really well. Um, he's a guy that I, I could like I could see that they'd want to extend if he's like anything close to to meeting that like potential that he he's already in the conversation and as like one of the top outfield center field prospects, and he has not had a major a, a minor league at bat. Like, did he play any games, or has he only been like in batting practice? Well, I mean, he's played some spring training games. He was in yesterday's exhibition game against. Oh, okay, oh, okay. Uh, so he's finally gotten to, but still spring training, and then it's like an actual, like official minor yeah, league at bat. Bats, took the ball the other way twice, both hit ninety-eight miles an hour. Oh, nice. That's very good. It's, it's a good one sign. It's a very good sign. Uh, Jones, I, I we're in an interesting position. Like, like. Like all three of these players, Carroll, Lawler, and Jones, like they are going to make, they're going to they're going to keep impacting. Like especially with this, that's the the best rule change they made is rewarding a draft pick for promoting a top, top prospect, like at a certain point, like earlier. So we're not gaming service time just so like we can get an extra you know a year out of him or you know have it a little be a little cheaper. Uh, it's really held back a lot of players' development, honestly. Also, I'll counter that says that teams might not necessarily be interested in calling up their player before the end of August so they can get that for try and get that first round pick. And maybe if the guy yeah, maybe comes up yeah. a month earlier instead. You know, that's that's definitely true. Like it will hurt on the other on the other end. Yeah, yeah it's going to guys think, that would be called up midseason. They're not going to be called up midseason now. They're going to wait until August, especially if it's like, oh, he just was, you know, hot streak or, you know, some random not necessarily sign of progress, but more, you know circumstance has led to success in the minors um so i mean it can cut both ways but i think it's like in, in the situation the diamondbacks are in like i think it really benefits them i think it actually does more good than that i mean you saw jordan walker probably doesn't make the opening day roster without that yeah although he probably might have made the opening day roster anyway i think he would hit the spring but like then again i uh, i i mean he's a bad example because the the Cardinals haven't really been like one to game service time like that. They've really promoted their prospects of like 
when it was developmentally. You Walker know, looked big league deal. ready when I saw him in fall league. Yeah, he's he's a stud. He will be. He's like the biggest competition. Like I wasn't there during the earlier comp part of this uh, due to technical issues, but Jordan Jordan Walker, he's the, he is the competition for Corbin Carroll. Like I think he is the number one competition. I uh, other than Kode Senga, um, that, but that's because he, that's a whole different thing. It's like Ichiro. He's he's a grown ass man who's like succeeded already. Um, there's no reason why he can't succeed now, and he's already got really 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 good pitches really good stuff uh total competitor um he's very good competition uh but George, if we're talking about position players it, it's it's walker uh he's a stud i mean he's a, he's a big boy with like a lot of talent so um yeah just wait until he gets his grown man strength that's the thing that's the thing that's why i say boy is because he's not finished growing he's only like 20 um yeah. i you don't some people don't like i didn't finish like filling out and growing until I was like 20, 25, 26. So actually later than that, I like growing at 18. Um, but my head kept growing until I was 25. Well, I, started, I stopped height wise. I had my last, <laughs> I grew 19, uh, from the age of like 19, I grew like six inches. So I was a late bloomer height wise and like otherwise. So like, I mean, that's the thing. Like he's still really like, he's a big guy. And he's going to fill out more. He's going to develop more power. But right now, he's ready. Like you said, like he was, he was ready in the fall league. Um, he looked ready in the minors last season, just about to me. Um, like I do, like yeah, I, I want... take notice of like who who's kicking whose ass, and uh, like this, like this sorting through the stats. He was like near the top of everything. Like he's really a talented athlete, and uh, I think I think Coral uh, Carroll, he he Corbin Carroll wants to win the Rookie of the Year. Like it's one of his stated goals. It can help the team too, so it's a personal goal and a team goal of his to win Rookie of the Year. Um, he's even more. I also like, think he like, pushes like, his teammates to be better too in a good way. Yeah, he does. Yeah, like we talked about that before. Is that like he he got Lawler uh, to join Jordan in Lawler on the? To, to, yeah, that's that, that's exactly what you want to see, and I think that like his presence on the on the on the on on the opening day roster and like on this team, like he's absolutely like. Like he's, it's gonna help, and uh, I think that I think that he'll uh, to win it. I didn't. I was in the chat, but I'll, so you can like have this later to put a clip in, Michael. I think Corbin Carroll would need to have uh, he he'd have a high have a high batting average. Um, he'd want to see like at least like a twenty twenty, you know, stolen bases home. I mean, I mean, he can steal more bases than that. I would think he's gonna steal like 40, 40 to fifty stolen bases this year. With I think it, I, th- I don't think he'll steal forty. I think it's going to be a um, kind of get a feel out for it for the first month, and then I think it's yeah. going to start taking off. That's but kind I, of what I, think, I think at. I could I could really see him going like uh, like easily. Thir- I, mean, I don't know. I could do thirty. A thirty thirty season would be uh, definitely put him in the conversation. I mean, there's only been like uh, I mean Walker though is just as much of competition to 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 do that. I mean he has more power than Carroll, like this like natural uh I mean not not to knock Carroll's pitting ability at all, but like uh Walker's got a little bit more pop in his bat. Uh Carroll yeah. can hit for higher average. Um yeah, I think like high average, stolen bases, and like he, he's gonna have to like it's not even really an issue. Like he's gonna have plus defense on top of all yeah, that. Yeah, he's playing so, like, he's, he's gonna like, be putting, pretty much the only good defensive left fielder in the National League, probably. Yeah. So I mean, 
honestly, I would not imagine if he's like like the best defensive like the best left uh, the best defensive left fielder in all of baseball this year. Like I really, he's that good. He played more. Did he? I think he played more. Don't center forget about right in the minors. Did I? Uh, was that? They're gonna. I mean, he should. In my opinion, he should be in right field. McCarthy moved to left, but they're gonna play McCarthy in right field this year. Yeah, I. That's interesting. I don't know if that's like the the best use huh. of their abilities. Um, I'd rather have the better defender in right field, but that's my opinion. Yeah, I yeah I agree. I, it it really is not the most ideal. I mean, I, I think we're likely to see them all over the place. I mean, they're all we have, like literally have three starting center fielders for a lot of teams on like as our, our, our outfield basically in terms of defensive capability with uh mccarthy as the weakest i think out of the three it's like not even a question Carroll's gonna be splitting time between all three spots because guriel can only play left field thomas can only play thomas is only best used in center field and he could probably play all three outfield positions but it's either center yeah or thomas, thomas thomas i really yeah i think i think he's gonna i think thomas skill set is best center. for center yeah absolutely like it's really um, he's a fantastic defensive center fielder to the point like his like he he was still above average last season. So um, even if he's not like like a plus bat this year, like as long as he's he's providing that plus defense, it really. Uh, but like I mean, if if we see like basically plus defense plus plus offense from Corbin Carroll, I think you know I mean it's a similar season as what he did in the minors, which he's done nothing but hit since he's you know. Since since he's nothing like, since he's his entire life, yeah, that's all he does. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, if he just does what he's been doing, he'll win Rookie of the Year unless someone has like an even more amazing season, which, um, you know, it's it's up to see. That means that guy earned it. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It means the guy earned it. Um, so yeah. So final segment of the show, we're gonna talk, make some predictions for who the minor league. Player and pitcher of the year is going to be this season. We'll start with um, player. You got two good choices. We're talking organizationally or all of baseball. Organizationally. Organizationally. Um, I think there's no. Hmm. That's a good. That's actually a very good question. You got I got two I, legitimate I options. That, uh, I would. I would say position player. I think Waller uh, is is likely to to be that guy, or maybe I know Waller. Or I would go with Lawler as well because Lawler's going to put up slightly better numbers, I think, than Jones. Jones is going to be kind of figuring it out a little bit, maybe the first month or so. But I think he's going to. But I think Jones is going to give Lawler a run for his money. Right, yeah, that's, I mean, Lawler's a really he's a good good bet. Human Lin for pitcher and Lawler. That's a good. That's a good. Um, gonna, uh, I agree Lin, with those choices. Really, that's really that's a good. Good. I mean, everyone I'm thinking of, like pitcher wise, they're all guys that, like, I think maybe Steinmetz could could uh, he's not break out this. He, I mean, he's not going to get enough innings. Like everyone I can think of is either like they're on the bubble of making the major league team, or they're like not going to get enough enough innings for it to really like make a difference. Uh, Lynn is a really. I mean, he's, this is the first time he's in the high minors, and he's he's got like just fantastic. I mean, he doesn't throw as hard. He just has a lot of. A lot of different pitches, and he throws all of them really well. Yeah, I think it's basically Tom, I see him as a Tommy Henry, a little bit shorter but better command. Yeah, I think I I it's, 
the interesting thing is I know he's been trying to focus on uh, increasing his velocity 95, and, his, and, nice. and, his, and his conditioning. Yeah, I mean, if he does that, if he succeeds, I know that like was basically the organizational assignment uh, given to him, which is to like work on his conditioning and work on his velocity. Because it's really like if he does up his velocity even a little tiny bit, he is like a plus pitching prospect. Like he really like, like I mean, I would put him up as the pitch, the best pitching prospect in the in, in our system, just about. I mean, you could see like Chaconi if he figures it out, that would be. A I mean, he's starting to. I mean, starting to, I, I, let's go with him. Yeah, That'll pretty good year double I'll, go I'll go with Lawler and Chaconi. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, Lynn's a, I'm gonna good, go, a good suggestion, though. I'm going to go, well, since I can't pick Lawler for the sake of content, I'm going to go with my two breakout prospects. I'm going to go with Wilder Patino as the position player and Bryce Jarvis as the pitcher. That's a, actually, those are fantastic. Uh, those would be just as good of choices. I mean, I, I'm going to go with like this. It's just for non-conference. Safe choices of Law and Lynn. Going with those. Yeah. Yeah. I'll stay with those, but like those, like the two of them, uh, Wilder Patino, I have been running my mouth about him for like at least a so season. Keith or two. Law. Yeah. And Keith Law. And like, I mean, if he breaks out and like that, he's the organizational, I still count as being right because I was right about it first. So, and that's what matters. But I'm moving on from my prediction of him being a stud because he's he's a stud, super fast, great great defensively. He's just now getting power. Uh, he's like really he's a really an athlete. Like I did not know like yeah. until basically this spring like how much of a stud he is. Yeah, I still I still remember there was that one game where he got robbed by Julio Rodriguez. Where he, any other outfield probably except Corbin Carroll probably it's a, a triple off the wall. Yeah, he's hitting the ball. He's registering exit velocity of 108 against big league pitching. So I think, like I said, slow. I think he's a slow developing, but I think the payoff will be good because he's still very young. Yeah, he's he. I think this is gonna be his age 21 season, if I if I remember right. So yep. he's still really young. Um, or, he's still developing. Yeah, he does not look like he's even finished filling out yet. So um. He's surprising. He's not as fast as Carroll, but he's like a much Who is? better. Uh, Patino, I don't think Patino is that as. But who? Who? Which? I don't how, think how many players, as as position Carroll. players in the system, can say that? How many? How many position, position players? players? Because you can't say Jameson. Um, that are faster than faster than Carroll. I mean. No one is okay. There's really like no one that is faster than Carroll. I, I there might be like a couple guys that are nearing his speed, but like he's not that fast. Like he's a, he's a fast guy, but he's just like a very adept base stealer. And I would I would think that actually, if anything, he breaks out. Um, he I I would predict him to be the organizational stolen base leader. He was this last season. Um, he was top three in all minor league baseball. Um, yeah. and while still like being positive. So like he didn't, he wasn't caught that much. He's a very adept base dealer. And I think he's like, the, I, don't, I don't know how much he played with the bigger base because he was in the lower minors. I mean, so he did it all in 94 games. Imagine what he yeah, could do in 140. All, yeah. That's like, I said, he's like at almost 60 stolen bases in like no amount of time. It's, it's he's just very oh. adept. And I think that if he it can take advantage of them, like the rules are all of them are the same in the minor leagues as, Major leagues at this point. Yeah, they were test he's gonna break out first. Yeah, they all they always tested it out. So he's been I think I think he might have used it in double A because he ended up the year in uh 
No, I finished in Hillsboro. Got hurt. Oh, he really oh, it's still the last right. two weeks of so, season or something. Hill, like Hillsboro had the pitch clock, and they had. I don't think they had the bigger bases. Um, but I would think that he he definitely player who's going to break out stolen base and take advantage of it. It's him because he's already he's already a, a good base dealer. That's that little extra bit of uh you know a larger base that's going to help him um i was gonna say so i would expect uh absurd totals from him although we do also have to ask the question how many of stolen bases are a result of poor catcher defense that's got to be something to account for as he goes up in the minor league system and the catchers are much more accurate throwers what would be a stolen oh, base oh, in the yeah. eight balls i mean caught stealing in double a yeah that's that's a big i mean he's he i think he stole more like he got more more of his caught stealing that double a or lower like or high a or or low a the rate i don't think changed that much from a rate standpoint i think he had because i mean yeah caught stealing nine times i think the season was seven with vizalia or something so with hillsborough okay so he had i mean i had most of his time with vizalia um, okay, so 54-61 in Vizilla, yeah, just under 90%. Good. 13 of yeah, 15 good. in Hillsboro. That's just, that's about, that's not that far off of stolen base rate. Um, a little bit, it actually works out a little higher in in, uh, in Hillsboro, my, you know. I'm talking about Yeah, really so good. it's still, it's still positive. That's still positive. Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, like, once you get out of, like, the DSL and, like, low, low minors, like, Vesalia is the lowest level, but they're still, you know, complex and all that. It's lower than that. But, like, once you're out of full, like, once you're in full season minor leagues, I don't think it's that much of a, you know, like, it's, it's, it's that much of an influence on it. I think that, yeah, like, okay, as you go higher than minors, you're going to see a lot of, especially, like, a lot of catchers that just can't hit, but that are just studs defensively and have good arms, that they're, like, just, you know, those you see a lot of those kind of catchers in the minors, and uh, they usually top out in Triple A. So uh, Jose certainly you'll have a hard time with that. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good example. There's a lot. There's a lot of them. Uh, the Jose Herreras of the world that are you know really great. I mean, that's, that's probably one of his best skills is actually uh, throwing out. Uh, yeah, he's got good base arm. runners. Honestly, he's got a good and accurate arm. And there's a lot of guys like yeah, they're, they're just going to top out at AAA because that's the best. That's a, one of the things that you're going to look for in a catcher. Guy's not going to throw it over the second baseman's head into center field. Um, so like, not a lot of pass balls and all that, obviously too. But uh, in terms of secondary to the catching part, like that's a skill you want. And like uh, I don't know, we'll see. But I think that like. Those are both great bets. Uh, Bryce Jarvis, uh, he just seems like the results kind of. Uh, it's a good pick for that reason because he's his result results never didn't really match the stuff and effort and. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Jarvis's fastball didn't play up to its release speed. Is what why the results didn't. Yeah, there. that's. Yeah, so I mean, he's. It seems like he's been. There's been a lot of talk about him addressing those issues. Um, move my head that way. There we go. Um, Five point two feet of extension is fast. Perceived velocity. If we assume ninety four miles an hour was his average, it's playing at ninety one, yeah. which is not. Help him. Yeah, so I mean, if it's playing down, like it's a playing at a lower velocity than actual velocity, that's really a bad thing. 
Um, it's not like where they're Jerry Jameson. You're... So, like, well, I movement. mean, Jarvis is a really, like, that's a good bet uh, for a guy that's just, like, the results haven't really matched his stuff and his, his repertoire pitches. And I think that, like, I know he's worked on um, that problem, that perceived velocity. Of his, he looks a lot better in spring than, like, uh, what, anything that I've seen out of Miners last season. So, I mean, he got, he really got lit up last season. Like, he was. Yeah, he did pretty not, well against Chicago. One of those one bad pitch, and it wasn't even his fastball that got hammered for the home run. Yeah, so he's he's been much better this spring. Um, I think that's a great. I'm trying to think of some guy, but besides Lynn, besides uh, Ciccone, besides the guys that are like major prospects, and I uh, look for a pitching I, prospect I think, sleeper. Uh, I don't know how to say his name. Uh, Diaz. Gilbert Diaz? Diaz. Yeah, he's uh, he's got some really nasty stuff. We talked about him um, in the previous episode. Yeah, we've talked about him. I mean, he's like he he just he's on some prospect list, but he's not like a, a big guy in terms of like known on the national level. I think he could break out. Like, is he more? He's more a reliever though. I don't think he's a starter. Um, Control's not quite there. Yeah, the but it's a hundred miles an hour. Think of it as like okay, maybe Justin Martinez two point yeah, that's, well, Martinez that's is definitely a lot bigger, and you look at Martinez, he's like, oh yeah, this guy could definitely throw a hundred. Is the thing. Yeah, Same thing with Vargas. I see Martinez. He's got the 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 build that you look at. I think Randy Johnson kind of threw off the the expectation that a really tall or big guy is going to throw hard. You know, no, like you look what Randy the guy Johnson like, was freakishly strong too. Yeah, he was a like freak athlete. People do not realize like how good of an athlete he was at USC. Yeah. I think RJ like, could have made he, it as a basketball player. Yeah, no, he's certainly, I mean, yeah, I think he had less athleticism to do that. Um, Well, he wouldn't be as great, obviously. Because RJ is more of a sneaky athlete, not necessarily obvious. Yeah, he has like like a surprising amount. Like I remember always like, you know, like a, like a bunt, you know, like you're bunting on Randy Johnson. Like you think that's going to really work out great for you. It didn't. Like he was surprisingly, like even like, Later in his career, when I I know like his the man had no cartilage in his knees and had a synthetic lubricant injected in him before every start. My favorite Randy Johnson back, not the bird and anything else. That the man had a pitch with his synthetic. Yeah, I've like, synthetic, heard of some of the things they've had to use lubricant. to keep Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> work. I've heard of some of the things. Then he also had, like this bar he stretched out his back on or something that he grabbed onto. In the dugout. Yeah, he he. Uh, like it took a lot for him to stay healthy yeah no like randy really was like like uh, it's only through modern science that randy johnson could pitch at the age of like 45 like you know 45 like he i think he was i don't even say modern science synthetic lubricant injected in between your knees for the because you have no cartilage that sounds like modern science to me okay like that's really new medical technology that was not a thing until very recently I, would say close I know to that. Me. But like I mean, like literally Randy Johnson, uh, even then, he like he was surprisingly mobile and like a surprisingly good athlete. And you can't people just want to think like, oh, because he's tall, like he threw the heart. No, he was a really good athlete. Uh, I think people think Randy Johnson's a poor athlete because of the chalk line incident. Where he yeah, first base. You know, how many times did he double. have to did he did he double anyways? It's not like Randy Johnson I mean, like, he did like, hit a literally, home run. My first baseball memory is a like 
I think it was like a Powerade commercial or a Sports Center commercial about how Randy Johnson, like it was like terrible at hitting. It's like, I wish I could hit more home. You know, the chicks dig along ball and he's like practicing batting practice. And like they were joking about him being a bad hitter then. Okay. And it's even more funny is he played in the American League and did not hit at all at the time. Like he would like did a DH, which I didn't get that until later, like that he would have never hit before then. All right. I'm looking up his current batting numbers. Your batting numbers 125 hitter yeah that's fantastic for someone who i remember who's basically got a disadvantage stepping in the box i watched his first career home run live that was wonderful and uh he looked like he had not been around anytime he had a hit like it was like he was surprised that he had to like hey he got a hit in the world series yeah yeah that's actually like i mean Literally, why I'm. Now, granted, there were 22 is, hits in that game. This is all that. Oh my god, that was my favorite. That's my favorite baseball game, playoff game of all time. It's not game seven. It's that game six where they like just absolutely pounded New York, the Yankees. Like they, I mean, it's one of the two the batters in. They took the lead, and then it was series. just a bloodbath after that. I think that was like one of the highest uh, scoring World Series games of all time. I know it's like probably at least top ten. Um, set a record for number of hits and the funny thing is they scored 15 runs yeah. and it felt like they were nickel and diming them with each hit it was like a bunch of base hit oh, yeah. line was, drives up the middle yeah it was really no defense like, would have caught those it was just this outpouring of uh like their back i mean really emotionally everything after the whole after after three days of byung kim three games of byung kim blowing saves us losing they i really should have swept the yankees or at least one, you know, four to one in a series. Sweet. It should have never gone more than five games. The Diamondbacks in 2001 lost in spite of Bob Renly. Like, he made horrible, horrible choices in hindsight. I mean, like, I don't think it was a horrible choice to bring in Kim for game four. Yeah. No, it's when game he brought five, him maybe. Time. You bring him out nah, the he third went, time. He only pitched Give games him four two, and five. Okay, so the two the the two two games in a row, like I don't think that was a good decision. Like I mean, yeah, he was a good in game four. He actually came in, in the eighth inning, struck out the side in order. Yeah, yeah, no, he was he's Kim. Other than those two like blown saves, was actually fantastic in 01. He's like one of the best, uh, like I mean, and the following year in 02, like he actually was a really good closer. He yeah, he legitimately really the All Star team. Unlike, I mean, he had the funkiest delivery too, so it made it even more difficult. But like Bob Renly did not help that. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I would say his managing in Game Seven was pretty good. I mean, yeah, Game Seven absolutely was was the best managing he's ever done. Like I, I think that like, uh, pinch hitting for pinch hitting Bell, uh, like yeah, I mean Bell screwed up, J Bell, all that. I mean, there's yeah, like I mean, a whole Bell bunch screwed of things. Up that, yeah, in that one, but fortunately, Scott Brocious wasn't thinking too. Yeah, there was some there was some lucky breaks there, but the it should never even gotten that point. Okay, like they really like it should never it should have been a gentleman sweep. You're absolutely right about that, Michael. Hopefully, we'll have a crazy World Series run this season, and uh, through all yeah. the miracles, everything will go right. All the I'll wrong things this. will happen to the right people, so that good things can happen. Because it's all you know. That's how chaotic the universe is. And that. In that hypothetical universe, they, the D-backs will have two first-round picks in the 2024 draft. I'm going to make that prediction. I think I think that they'll do that. Like I, I think I really think the Diamondbacks will make the. They're going to be better than people think. They're going to surprise this year. Um, 
to you. What's your, what is your, like, I mean, uh, since we're, we're here, what's your prediction for, for uh, the Diamondback season, Michael? I think they look better than last year, but their win total doesn't necessarily drastically increase. Like I said, um, I think the rotation is going to take a step backwards this year. Obviously, Gallon's due yeah. for a lot of regression, and Kelly's kind of a regression candidate too. And then you don't know how many games you're going to get Davies and Bumgarner. You know, if they pitch yeah. more than forty games, I could see them finishing below five hundred. Oh yeah, that's that's really the 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 question. The, really, my predictions kind of go both. I could see the Diamondbacks winning eighty-seven games. I could see them losing eighty-seven games. Okay, like I could see it going either way. If they if they yeah. have like what as what you were talking about with like you know uh, getting a bunch of starts out of Madison Bumgarner and Davies that are subpar and like we don't see all these prospects put in the road. Like there's it's very much, there's very much scenarios where like these were, it might not like, necessarily be the guy becomes an impact player yeah. off the bat off. Uh, out yeah. of the gun like Carroll was last year. Yeah, like a, C- Carroll could have a slow start. Moreno could have a slow start. Like uh, Catal Marte could continue declining. Like there's there's a scenario like a Walker could regress. Like yeah, there's lots of negative. There's lots of scenarios where they might not be as good. Uh, they could even like be worse than last season. I think that like we like really. I, I hate to say it, but having Peralta replace <laughs> replaced by like literally like uh, replacing our outfield from last year with what we have now, like we're, th- that's an improvement right there. Like we have better outfield defense than we've had in like possibly ever. This is probably the best defensive outfield the Diamondbacks have ever put on the field. That's crazy. They're going to have a better outfield in two years, two, three yeah. years. Uh, that's, that's just uh, like, that's the real area that I see uh, the Diamondbacks approving Perdomo. Having I think the lineup better, is like, much stronger. That- I think there's a bunch of balance pack candidates on this route. Like, I don't, I mean, for every, like, yeah, Zach Gallen or Merrill Kelly are going to do for regression. Like, both of them have kind of outperformed uh, their peripheral. Uh, like, I mean, really, what we got to remember what matters is what the actual stats are. As much as we get into, like, X Woba and, like, all these, like, you know, X they're per- minus. And they're not you know, necessarily like predictive. Stats, they're not predictive. Uh, they can be. There usually are, but they're not all like there's always a player that will outperform uh, what the projections will say. There's ones that like, you know, there's players like that Corbin will, Carroll just, will probably outperform his X stats consistently. Yeah, I think he's going to be he's a great example. Um, more ways to get hits, more ways to take an extra base on it. Yeah. Base hit. He, he's definitely the guy that he's going to he, he'll have a higher expected uh an average slugging just because he's going to be taking the extra base. Like he's going to be legging, you know, turning singles into doubles. He's going to be turning what's an infield, like, you know, a little bloop out uh, into a single, which will raise his batting average. Like he really has that skill of like just extending a hit into, you know, like or this, you know, just extending each kind of uh, batted ball into a little better of a, a situation with the speed. If it, you know, that makes any sense. All right, put up, post up a win total, if you had to say right now, between your eighty five, between eighty five wins. And uh, 85 if I wins. have to pick one, I will go. Uh, I would go with I. Uh, one game over just a winning season, like it'll be just barely a winning season. So that'd be eighty. Eighty two seventy nine. 8280? Um yeah, no, 8, 82, yeah, 8280. There we go. Um so yeah, I'm one gonna, game better than five hundred. 
I'm going to say 79 and 83. I'm going to go with the second half. Extended yeah, that's, over full that's, 162. I have no idea, really, honestly, Michael. Like, it's, it's this is like such a weird, unprecedented, and um, like we were talking about, or like there's so many things that, like, I don't even know if the projections mean anything. This is the first time you could honestly say, like, the prior projections are going to be complete. Like, you could just throw them out for some yeah, this is This is a completely different team than it was a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why I'm optimistic. We've got much younger, other than the rotation and the bullpen. The bullpen, I'm. I'm I think I think that uh, uh, Melanson's uh, Melanson, however you say his last name, it doesn't matter. Melanson. He his injury is fortunate. That's a fortunate injury. Uh, the injuries that we've had had so far have been creative. fairly fairly a good thing in terms of, for other players stepping up, other than Kelly. And actually, even that. Uh, we're going to see him help Moreno develop his bat better. That's actually the best thing that could happen is him getting more starts injury like that. It's terrible that we don't have Kelly's bat, but you know, if it, like, things like that happen, then sometimes uh, some one person's misfortune is another person's gain in, in baseball. Opportunity. Uh, even they're your teammates. Yeah. It's an opportunity and uh perfect world. You know, things could, you know, go the right, like, you know, if there's an injury to Madison Bumgarner or Davies that allows, you know, us to, to promote some better pitching or, you know, if, if they just suck and they're just terrible, God forbid we release them at an appropriate time or, you know, you know, whatever we get them off the roster, uh, eat the money and put in a better picture. Like it's a better position. If Dimax are willing to like, plug the holes as they appear like okay so madison bumgarner goes and has like five bad starts ten bats. okay 10 10 bad starts we're gonna leave him leave him in until the all like it's the whole season no don't do that get rid of him that's what we need to see if they don't do that then we're gonna have a below below 500 season that's really like my, my concern is that right there yeah this season's about figuring out who are your uh who who is the who next great who who can pretty much yeah and then you're gonna make and then if you get in there early yay but really it's about evaluating the roster for 24 yeah this is definitely much more like a player evaluation season like we need to see what we really have like what kind of like holes are we needing to fill in uh through free agency you know if we really want to put like i mean it's basically the the like i've mentioned before the orioles the orioles uh last season like very similar place in terms of like where they're at competitively like the orioles are going to be contending this year like i would be very Orioles surprised got, if they are not they've got significantly better um Orioles got a big the first infusion of talent yeah they had a big infusion of talent that's the biggest thing like they or even look at the astros uh up until like basically uh but before the window of contention that they had in the early two the early 2010s they were awful henderson is on the orioles roster Oh wow! So, yeah. I see. Like, yeah, they're, 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 he's, uh, he's, I think the Orioles' the, pitching is underrated, but their rotation is definitely worse. Yeah, their rotation is not nearly. Their as bullpen good is as, much better. As, uh, Felix Batista. Yeah, their bullpen's better. Yeah, their bullpen is much better. I think Felix Batista or any bullpens in the AL roster, but, yeah. but like, I think in terms of expectations, I think that like you know, look at the Orioles last year. That's a fair, a fair prediction. Yeah, the Orioles. Last year, basically added Henderson and actually no, Henderson only played a month. Let's not use him. Adley Rushman. As soon as they yeah, added Rushman. him on the rush, 
if they had had Rushman for the entire season, they might have made, made a run in the playoff spot. But the AL was very competitive that year. Oh, wild card. He made he, Adley Rushman's presence made the pitching staff better, and my hope is that uh, he's an MVP. Like, I, I've heard positive things about Moreno's, uh, you know, game calling skills uh, when he was with the Blue Jays. That he's an excellent game caller, and I would really hope that we see a similar effect. Uh, with him and like, you know, improving the pitchers too, because a really good catcher is going to do that. And you actually see that out of him. So like, hopefully we have a similar effect that Rushman has, you know, has had on this, on uh, the Orioles pitchers that we see with Moreno and the Diamondbacks pitchers. Like that's like the best thing you can ask from, from him. Anyway, thank, thanks everyone for watching. Like I said, we'll uh, let you know when the next episode will be, we'll probably have the, Major League and Minor League season underway when that is when that next episode comes in. We'll have some numbers to talk about, some of the top prospects and how they're doing. All right, thanks so for having me, go, Michael. Want, so before we go, you anything you want to plug? Um, I'm going to be launching a uh, a newer, like a separate podcast. is more like just rotating interviews and, and guests and sometimes just myself. Uh, it's a, a Diamondbacks dialogue. You can keep an eye on my YouTube channel, which I'm going to mirror all my, my stuff on, um, as well as my Twitter. Um, I, I looking to have it up in the next week and also, uh, the podcast, uh, network that we're the fans first podcast network, which we're going to soon probably make this a part of too. Yeah. So same, same old, same old stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I said, thanks for having me, Michael. And, uh, Thanks for watching. And before we go, just want to plug a couple of things that I'm working on. So I'm going to type the link in the chat, but be covering the team this year, both major leagues and the minor leagues for inside the diamondbacks, which is on sports illustrated's website, si.com slash MLB slash diamondbacks. You're looking for the link. We're going to be covering the team from a holistic level, myself and Jack Summers in Myself, Jack Summers, and, and uh, whoever else is able to contribute to the project, we're going to be giving you the best, I guess you could say the best co um, coverage of the team's team from top to bottom. 